We don't know anything for a fact. Clint Walker. Except that bulldozer kills. Carl Betts. Two men dead. The survivors watch an unmanned bulldozer continue its rampage. Kill Dozer. Buongiorno. Buongiorno, signorinos and signorinas. Mi chiamo Dion. Uh, lui e chiamo Blake. Um, grazie, grazie. <laughs> Ciao. Ciao, grazie. Buonasera. Donde è sta la bagno? Allora. Allora, quanti <laughs> anni hai? Mi Buonasera. 50, I don't know. Buongiorno, everyone. It's a late <laughs> night. Sorry, we had the wrong taping. <laughs> we had the Italian taping. Jesus. Uh, That's how late it is. You know, next week we'll have like the Japanese shape and the mushy mushy. <laughs> Konnichiwa. Did you see that review yet that somebody wrote on iTunes? No. Some, oh, you told me that. No, somebody, I haven't looked. It wrote, came out of my mind as soon as you told me. First of all, thank you to, to everybody that has taken the time to rate and review the show on iTunes. And if you haven't yet... We urge you to yes. consider doing so. Because it helps us out. <laughs> but somebody reviewed the show recently. And uh, it was a favorable review. But it was like, sometimes they... It was like, often they... Like, the the uh, releases are... Kind of get bogged down in obscure Italian movies. But it's still a great show. <laughs> we get bogged down in obscure... Something to that effect. And I was like, have you... Have we really done that many? I mean, <laughs> we did a Fulci movie. We did an Argento movie. I did that one Three Mothers thing with yeah. James from Wrong Real. But have we done any other Italian movies other than that? We haven't done any Sergio Leone yet. We haven't done any um, Mario Bava. I don't know what we've done yet. But um, I was like, hey, you know. Hey, it's better. Yeah. <laughs> better than nothing. He's like, wow. And then the French existentialism they do in the new wave. I love their uh, Pierre Lafou cast. That's all for 2018. Yeah. We're taking this to, to, to foreign sleepovers. And we're going foreign <laughs> on that. We're doing. We're going to be going around the world. You know, like your favorite sitcom would go like we're on gonna a... We're going to do a sleepover movie from every yeah. continent. It's going to be like we're going to Epcot Center. We're going to take an hour and go to like have a shot and we're going to do a movie from every... But anyway, to that person, if they're listening, thank you for the review. Grazie. 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 You're already saying you're welcome to him. Prego. Prego. <laughs> Grazie, allora, andiamo, come with us now, andiamo. We're going to talk about a movie that has really nothing to do with Italian no, cinema, even... but we could probably find an extension, but this has a lot to do with other things we've done. Well, we're coming off of a month of what was supposed to be a month of horror. A pure horror. But it ended up being kind of a mixed bag of Halloween fun. Yeah, we had a horror in there. I mean, it was all horror, but it was had... light horror and... and Fun and games, and then somebody so. got hurt. <laughs> somebody got hurt. And somebody stopped down. Yeah, somebody got a razor but, blade uh, in the mouth. So I figure we figured that maybe we would extend the horror theme to one six more, weeks. One more week to do six episodes. Plus, Carpenter's on tour right now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this movie 
it's an autumn movie. Yes, it is. It, it, it has a time frame on it. So in case you're wondering what the hell we're talking about, because you blindly <laughs> play <laughs> without streaming. You'd like to play we're that. We're way back to 1983 with the John Carpenter classic, Christine. Yes. <laughs> We're back to 1983. Back. I don't think we've ever done... Have we done an 83 or... I don't know. This is good. I, we must have wait, wait, something we've, in 83. We've done, I don't know. We've, we've talked about 83. Um, yeah, so Carpenter's on tour. Yep. Uh, and my favorite song of last year's set list, anyway, when I saw him, was the track from Christine. Yeah, I remember you saying that. So I really love how they did that live, which is the song that... Uh, it's when Christine is... Going after when everybody. the fury is, yeah, is, is, is hunting in, them down in, in pure fury. <laughs> is yeah, in pure fury. There's a lot of lot of stuff to dig in with this movie. Yeah, you know when you um you texted me by carrier pigeon the other day. Yes, and I uh, took it off the foot and read the note, and it was a long <laughs> note. And you're like, I'm really excited because this is a big topic. And I said to myself, like, well, is it a big topic? Self? I said, self? <laughs> and he said, yes. And I said, is this a big topic? And he's like, well, I don't know, Dion, is it? A-? And, I, and then I, I was thinking of it, and then I rewatched it once before we watched it tonight, because I hadn't seen the movie in 25 years. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. I guess it kind of is a big topic, because there's so much in it. This is another one of these Carpenter movies that I, I don't think you and I have talked about. Maybe but, not. like, I have a connection to, like, the thing, uh... Assault on Precinct 13 in this movie. Yeah. And these are all prior to us meeting in college. So it's I hadn't seen this movie in so long, but this is a movie I grew up with mm-hmm. and I had memories of. So uh, I got it on DVD, you know, when DVDs came out in the early odds or late 90s. And then it's one of those, like the DVD release I have is like, you know, special features is like, you know, like languages, or, you know what I mean? <laughs> or like, you know, a teaser trailer. <laughs> Other titles available, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, and then it's one where it's like one side is full screen, the other side is yeah, widescreen. Yeah. Like you got to make sure, you gotta, yeah, you got to read the writing to make sure you're on the right side, A or B. So to pop it in, it was just, it was so, you know, it was such a blast from the past. And I remember, it's it's, it's another example of one of those movies that, you know, you don't remember until you watch and you realize you remember every scene. Yeah. And then you remember so much more that wasn't even in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> What, what, it's a thing I end up doing is I, I end up yeah, I thought that. developing such subplots that, you know, like, what was it? We did something where I, yeah, yeah. and I was something like, something recently. And I was like, I thought that, uh, and you're like, no, but that was a great ending, you know, <laughs> or something like that. Um, yeah. I forget what it was. But um, a lot of the stuff we've talked about in other casts, and it's funny, we can all like steer it into this, like, yeah, you know, yeah. take it off the cabinet and sprinkle it into this batch and just churn it around. And Well, I think one of the important things to discuss which we've co- we've covered a lot of John Carpenter. We've we've deemed him the patron saint of sleepover movies. Yeah, and so we've done the thing. Yeah, which is his follow up to the thing. We've done uh, the Carpenter produced Halloween two and three. Yeah, we've done Big Trouble in Little China, which was the first Carpenter we did. We did in the Mouth of Madness last October. Yep. Uh, earlier, the first one of 2017 was Escape from New York. Yep. So we've covered a lot of Carpenter. That's a baker's dozen, right? There. <laughs> But uh, I think this is a perfect example to bring up this topic that I think some people that maybe are a little bit younger than us or got into this stuff a little bit after us, the important, uh, the thing that I find interesting about it is, you know, when we met 20 years ago, 1997, 
And uh, we started kind of geeking out over things like The Thing and, and horror movies and just discovering new movies together, including geeking out over movies that we both loved already, like Predator, which we talked about as our 20th anniversary yeah, movie, Predator cast. Friends mo- friendship movie. Um, is that... Uh, let me see how... How can I phrase this? Well... You're an idiot, Dion. I see that nowadays... There are a lot, I see because of the popularity of Carpenters with his music and stuff, um, I still see I, I, I still see like blogs and stuff being written about how like Carpenter is underappreciated and how he's underrated and all this stuff. And I would say that today, as of today, for the most part, he's not anymore. Like I think, you know, people have come around on Carpenter, movies like They Live have become hugely popular with cult followings. Like, Carpenter's probably at the top of his game popularity-wise right now compared to, you know, maybe around Escape from New York would have been been where he might have been higher in popularity than now. And, like, movies like... Halloween three people are now people are still saying oh the underrated classic it's like no like pe- everybody fucking loves Halloween three now yeah there was a time and that's where I'm going now which is 20 years ago when I was falling in love with John Carpenter and even a little bit earlier than that in high school like Carpenter was really underappreciated and I, there were you- specific movies that were that are now loved. That back then, like when we were in college, like nobody gave a shit about the fog. Yeah, nobody really cared about uh, in the mouth of madness. It was still really recent. It was still like only a few years old. Well, wasn't he? At, he was writing of popularity because I remember him being very popular around in, uh, in the mouth of madness. And for me, that's kind of like one of his last great movies for me. Well, in the mouth of madness was a bit of a comeback, which I think made. Well, you know, he did body bags around there, so yeah, he was. He was know, in the his I, name I, was out but, there, um, but you know. He was coming off of Memoirs of the Invisible Man, and I think maybe even uh, Village of the Damned might yeah, have been the, the film Reeve before one. In the Mouth. If not, it's the film right after. Anyway, he was had a bit of a slump, and I think in a lot of people's eyes. So that when the, In the Mouth of Madness came out, it was like, holy crap, In the Mouth of Madness. This movie's awesome. But there was like, nobody gave a shit about uh, Prince of Darkness. Yeah. Nobody gave a shit about The Fog. Yeah. You know, people... Uh, loved the campiness of They Live, but didn't really embrace it yet for being like an awesome, yeah. <laughs> like social statement movie. And so now, you know, we flash forward 20 years and now people love all those movies. Does he ever get labeled as being overrated? Because, he, you know, a lot of people think in his, the other half of his career isn't as good as his, you know, his early years. I mean, he, I, mean I think he's had a, a, a brilliant resurgence with music and scoring and, and, and the yeah, little yeah. things he's done, but you know, but I think all that's brought attention to the movies. You yeah. Know? And I think the internet and Twitter and Facebook and just social media in general, social media in general has really uh, elevated the popularity of genre film because one things are more available now than ever with streaming and home video dvd uh blue especially blu-rays and all these you know scream factory <laughs> that you know john carpenter is like the pages of scream factory yeah like they release <laughs> everything um and he's had these remakes too they remade the thing they remade the fog they made a video game that was very popular on the thing yeah um yeah. i mean those aren't properties necessarily look the 
the fog is something he created, but the thing so, is he was attached to. Yeah. So I think it's easy for people to forget that just 20 years ago, there's all these like beloved Carpenter movies that nobody cared about. Even thought weren't good. Yeah. Um, and I guess like where I'm going with this is that Christine is still one of the movies that nobody talks about. It, it seems like they're, they're, they are, like you say yourself, getting into college, you loving all these movies, but you not realizing they're all helmed by the same person. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of that, maybe even now, that people individually, like I love The Fog, and that's probably another on the list of movies that I loved from growing up. Sure, yeah. But it's like... A lot of people don't, you know, maybe the novice may not realize that these are all the same person. I mean, maybe now they do, but yeah, like yeah. the regular film goer doesn't realize that, you know, Christine is lauded as a good movie with like, you know, motorheads and people love Escape from New York or people or love... Or maybe King fans. Yeah, you know, you know and, and stuff like that or, or um, you know, uh, Starman people love, you know, do people realize that, oh, it's the same, all those diehard memoirs of Invisible <laughs> Man fans, you know, that people yeah. realize, you know, that it's all John Carpenter, you know? Sure. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's part of it. I think now with, like, information at our fingertips, uh, you know, it's probably not as much the case now as it used to be. But I do find it interesting that... Like especially the films I just I mentioned, which is like The Fog and Prince of Darkness. Um, I think Assault the Precinct Thirteen always had kind of like a cult. That's following. another one that they remade. Yeah, they remade that one. Um, but it's just like those movies. People come around on those movies, but I feel like the one movie, and I don't know, is that people don't. I don't know if people don't like it, but the one movie that I think Carpenter fans and horror fans in general don't really talk a lot about. At least I don't hear it is Christine. Yeah. And Christine happens to be a really special film for me. I mean, John Carpenter's probably my favorite filmmaker, so I'd say the majority of his catalog, I would say, oh, it's one of my favorite films, or it's special to me, and all that stuff, because they are. I mean, so many of them are. A lot of them are really, like, kind of tentpoles uh, for my life, you know, yeah. uh, In the Mouth of Madness, especially uh, The Thing, in terms of Our Friendship, was a big movie. Halloween, so many of them. Um, but for me, Christine, I have, like you, I have nostalgia from a chi- from uh, from my childhood. And there's also a special connection. I wonder if you picked up on it. There's something very specific about me that's in this movie. The whole high school? Um... <laughs> no, it's not even that deep. It's that the... F- what? Oh, the birthday? <laughs> what date? Oh, yeah. What exact date? September Artie's... the 12th, 1978. <laughs> Am I going to bleep that out when we get to uh, when this comes out? Although people are going to know. Yeah, it starts, the movie begins on Blake's birthday. My exact birthday. Your exact birthday, the freaking movie starts. The day I was born. Yeah, and I remember. Not the, the year and the day. The year the day when, when he came out moaning and then the, the, <laughs> the nurse that had him died. <laughs> And she said, this boy is going to be a uh, son of a gun. What's I forgot the Jimmy Hendrix lines. He's a... Uh, well, I was bad to the bone. Yeah, he was b- 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 bad. But there's that Hendrix song. With the, the, he's going to... Oh, uh, but, anyway. uh, yeah, so I watched... I this picked sp- up on that, yeah, because I, I remember I slapped my wife in the face. <laughs> and I said, do you see that this is his... Do you see? Do you see? When we watched it a couple uh, nights before we watched this video, I was like... This is Blake's birthday. So I watch this movie every year on my birthday. Do you? So it's a you, yearly occasion. This when movie. did you figure that out? Did you have a? Um, I'd say I figured that out probably ten years ago. 
Oh, really? It wasn't like back in childhood? No, no. Yeah. But my story of childhood, and I can't believe I wouldn't have already told this story on a, on a previous podcast. <laughs> but my uh, recollection of this movie was it was probably a new release on video. So we're talking 1984. Yeah. I'm at my dad's house, and we've talked at length about renting movies at Rite Aid. Of course. <laughs> For those new listeners who don't know about that, yeah, we have this. We've talked this about lauded. this. My dad had a VCR. My dad had cable. Uh, my parents were divorced, and my mom didn't have those things. So going to my dad's house was less real treat for you know for watching movies and stuff. And we go to Rite Aid, and they had the car. They had the boxes like ripped open. You know, the front of the box and the back of the box like ripped open and put into like poster. Uh, oh yeah, yours was yeah the, sleeves. Yeah, you, like, so you, go you know like a rack. Posters, yeah. Yeah, it was like a book, a giant book attached to a, a rack. Yeah. And you would you'd be like number two twenty four thirty seven. Yeah. You'd have to memorize the number and, go and to not the, forget it before you got ten feet to the To the woman at the pharmacy. <laughs> You're picking up meds. The, no, I want to the, the movies. counter. Um so we rented uh Christine. Mm. And I remember And you picked it out? No, I don't think I okay. picked it out. Which is it's so weird that I have all these weird horror movie memories of watching horror movies with my dad and my dad at least now and for the last 20 years being so like vehemently you know like anti-horror except for john carpenter movies (laughs) he does love john carpenter's the thing so we we rented this movie and the movie opened yeah movie the beginning opens christine's coming down the assembly line in detroit the guy's you know, looking under the hood, re- looks down, crouches down. The the hood comes down and crushes the guy's hand. Yeah. And I'm five or six. Yeah. Seeing this, and I got kind of freaked out. So I remember, I, like, I didn't want to watch it. I walked out of the room. Is this this movie? Then your your dad and your brother. And had my to- dad and my brother walk in. I remember it like it was yesterday. Like I can still see it standing in the hallway outside of the television room. Yeah. My dad and my brother walk out. They're like, what's wrong? And I'm like, this, the know. car's alive. Don't you guys know? <laughs> I got a bad feeling about this. And they're crouching down to my level. My brother's five years older than me. So that's like a big age difference. Yeah, of between course. Five and ten. You yeah. know, it's like uh, the Lost Boys. <laughs> it's like the fucking Lost Boys. It's like the fucking Lost Boys. And uh, should I and finish it, the story? What they say to you? Yeah. Tell, tell them what they so say. So Blake's very. He, he doesn't know what to do. He's like, I don't want to watch this. And then either was it your father, or your brother? One I don't of remember you, which one said. They looked it, at each other and then they said, Blake, it's just like Kit from Night Rider. From Night Rider. <laughs> and Blake said, Yeah, just like Kit. Christine is just like Kit from Night Rider. And then Blake just he stopped crying. He <laughs> wiped like, the tears right. away from his face. <laughs> Sniffle a little bit, and then he's like, "Okay, I can go back in." He went back in, but the little they not tell you that it's not kid; it's like car. It's more K-A-R-R. like car. A A R R. It's more like car. Yeah. It's not more it's the, not like, like the night automated ro- roving robot. <laughs> so it's like a really like specific early memory for me is that. Um, so that movie's always stayed with me, and then uh, the Hastings brothers, which we talk about almost every episode, if not very every episode. There, Dave specifically, uh, Dave and Steve. Steve wrote uh, and performed our theme song. Yeah, Dave's twin brother, who uh, guested on our Silver Bullet uh, podcast many years ago. Dave, me and Dave's friendship was built on the fact that we both love John Carpenter. Yes, and I remember being over his house, uh, talking, uh, talked about these kinds of events 
when we did Karate Kid. Yes. We talked about Karate Kid being at over their house like all through all hours of the night as adults. And uh, we bring them up on over the top as well. Yeah, yeah. But specifically like an all-nighter getting drunk an all-nighter at their apartment and then like leaving at 6 o'clock. Yeah, the taking the, you're like, I'm not sleeping on the floor. I'm going to take the commute take back. subway home. Yeah, which we've all been. We've all done that. <laughs> walk of shame. Yeah. But uh, so many nights of, of like them being drunk and watching them do like a, a two-man performance of Christine for me. Because they know it verbatim. They know it like it, crazy. Because you know, the first time they did it, I was like, wow. And then that's when I watched. That was like the first year that I watched it on my birthday. Yeah. Was right after I had seen them do it for the first time. And that was shortly after. And that's when I was like, holy shit, like, they literally know every line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, cause it was, like, a week or two before, and I remembered, like, man, like, they know it verbatim. Like, every single line. It was, I was like, I was really impressed. Yeah, and, and Motorheads are huge fans of this movie, obviously because of the Plymouth Fury, but I always hear that this is the joke with people where they will have the car ready to go if you go to, like, a, uh, like a, a car show or whatever, and they wait for someone to come up and look at the car. And yeah, they, yeah. they and the owners cannot wait to say Robert's Blossom's line. Yeah, yeah. You know? the, the Hastings brothers have a story like that where they went, I believe they were like at a car show or something, and Dave got in, and uh, and Steve says to him, whatever the line is. And uh, the, then the guy who owns the car runs, comes out, he's like, you know. You don't need to just start him up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like we be, be lines. Oh, God bless him. Um but uh, yeah, so a lot of fond memories about this movie, and uh, so this is a really important movie for me. And I love this movie. It's maybe one of my favorite John Carpenter scores. Yeah, and I think it gets forgotten because it's so overshadowed by like the rock and roll music in the movie. It's yeah. got the, like the, which is a great soundtrack too. Oh yeah, yeah. You know that's that, that's one of the first things that uh, that uh, that brings me to it. You know the, the songs are certainly not a negative, yeah. but no, yeah, yeah, it has the least amount of score. Yeah. than ev- out of any of his movies because it's it, so heavily based yeah, in rockabilly. So or much, blues or so R&B, much of yeah. the other, so much of the music in the movie are, are and they, it plays such an important part. I mean, it's either for irony or it's literally Christine's Teen's voice, feel, yeah, her voice, telling and, the feelings. Um, but I love Carpenter and Alan Howarth's score for this. Yeah, and when who now you can call a friend, Alan Howarth. <laughs> yes, you know. Alan, Alan is a pal. Yeah, yeah, who I've met him through you. Yes, that's true. Yes. I saw Alan play live. Yeah, and then we hung out with him for a little bit afterwards. And I was like, wow, this is awkward because <laughs> it's Alan Howard. <laughs> and, uh, but when I wrote my book and I interviewed uh, John Carpenter, yeah, Carpenter confessed that there's a track in the, the movie that is like the track that he's most proud of, or at least one of the most. Musically. Yeah. Like out of all the mu- music he's done, there's one track that he's like specifically very proud of. And it's on the soundtrack. It's inexplicably called Junkins, which is Harry Dean Stanton's character's name. Yeah. The piece of music has nothing to do to, like in the context of the movie. I don't think it has anything to do with his character. So I don't know why it's called that, but it's the scene which you and I have a connection to, which is when Arnie and, and Dennis are in the car driving on, like, New Year's Eve. Yeah. And the music that's happening in that scene 
is the music that Carpenter talks about in my book as being like a piece of music that he's specifically right. very proud of. There's no reason why that would be called <laughs> Detective. Um, yeah, yeah. It's almost like Randy Jurgensen, Rudy Jurgens, or whatever he's Jenkins. Yeah, Junkins. Junkins. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that maybe that theme pops up somewhere else with Harry Dean Stanton. But when he's explaining it in the um, interview, he talks about it in that scene specifically. Well, yeah. I, I would agree with you that when you when you lay the cards on the table and you look at everything, with what we just talked about with Carpenter being this retrospective of his and him, you know, the gravitas he has now, that you're right. I think that Christine is still a movie that, like I would say, The Fog, that people still don't really yeah. oh, associate think, with him to a certain extent. Yeah. Like the thing it, people love... You know, Big Trouble in China, um, They Live, even Starman, The Halloween, certainly, that, that's mm-hmm. a given, uh, even in the Mouth of Madness. But, like, Christine is something that I think does have a cult following, certainly to do, like I said, with the with the people, car community, but horror people, Stephen King fans as well. Yeah. This might also be the first Stephen King-related story uh, vehicle we're doing on the podcast. Maybe hmm, because I don't think. Well, we did. I did Silver Bullet with Dave. Oh, you're right. Okay, you did Silver Bullet with Dave. But I didn't think of that. together, yeah, it might be because we haven't done really anything else. We uh, came close to doing it. We discussed doing it, the miniseries. Yeah, but we didn't end up doing. No, it. No, like, wow, <laughs> that's a little too much. Yeah, that's a lot to get on. A lot, we got to get a two. Ta- it's a two taper right that, there. That is definitely a two taper. Um, which so, is it's interesting because of um, because of the the film the theatrical version of it. Um, the new one. Yeah, Stephen King is really big right now. Yeah. So not only are we hitting uh, a Carpenter kind of it, it, at a timely fashion, we're also maybe slightly behind schedule. But we're also hitting uh, a Stephen King movie. Oh, because he also also had the the Gunslinger come out. Gunslinger that came, came away. Out, yeah. yeah, which I don't think he did very well. But yeah, certainly. Yeah, he's he's now. And then they have the Netflix series um, 2263. <laughs> uh, whatever. I guess, whatever. That, no, that's your comment. That's your locker comment. Yeah, that's right. Oh, no. <laughs> it's the wrong way around. <laughs> I got to go around <laughs> once and then left, right. Uh, well, that also has a connection. That story or uh, book yeah, has a yeah. connection with this movie. Um, but, yeah, my connection with this is I, you know, growing up, uh, I've always, like, my first, um, I don't know, when I was four or five, my first inkling was I wanted to be a truck driver. I don't know why. Like, mm-hmm. I, I was, I love Tonka toys. I love matchbox cars. My dad worked for the railroad, so I was always around, like, uh, you know, uh, engines and trains when I was little. So uh, I had a big affinity for movies that had involved trucks, you know, mm-hmm. so um, in cars. And this was one of the first movies I saw that I really dug. And then I never even realized until I was putting. Th- thought in preparing this podcast of the affinity I have for the sub 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 genre of these type of movies with cars or trucks that are like you know uh, usually yeah evil horror suspense (laughs) either done by like um, you know on their own like if they have some sort of like uh, autonomous or if they're being driven by like some hidden figure like gold or something or like uh, you know the, the, the car you know and then I was adding them all up, and there's like a, a heavy amount of movies that I'm really into that have this kind of a theme, <laughs> you know. And yeah. uh, and this was and that was an alluring thing for me watching this when I was little. That like immediately, you know, understanding it all and getting really sucked in, and then it being pretty simple, and yeah. uh, you know, going along for the ride at such a young age, but then not having any problem not understanding it. You know, I understood sure, everything yeah, like that. Yeah. So it's just, and then bringing all those memories back when you watch it, it's just, wow, it's, it's really, you forget all that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
So it's it's weird to then come back to this, which I said, you know, I haven't seen it in so long. And then we watch it and it's just like an old girlfriend. You're like, wow, <laughs> I forgot about all. And then all the stuff you start to pick up again, you know. And then, like I said, the things that you remember that aren't in the movie, your mind just makes up over time. Sure, yeah. You know, it's just, it's real, um, it's real, it's just real humbling. <laughs> it's all right, dude. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, I think we, we should stop this down. Yeah, uh, I'm just I'm getting a little, <laughs> yeah, I'm getting get a little verklempt. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, God damn it, Dad. Why did you do that to me? (laughs) I have often said, and it's probably a controversial statement, but I've often said that to me this movie is probably one of Carpenter's best directed movies. Mm. Um, Which is odd because at the time he picked it as a job. and Yeah, yeah. It wasn't only a a job to him. I mean, a bit of history was that he did the John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. And we (laughs) talked. John Carpenter's Thing did John Carpenter. And we talk about that when we covered the movie The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. Um and it was such a colossal failure, yeah. both financially and critically, that it was basically ruined his, almost ruined his career. Like, the, the reaction that the critics had to that movie was crazy. Yeah. And I can only imagine, like, how heartbroken he was to, um, to watch that movie, like, in the cutting room, to see, like, the accomplishment that he managed to pull off. Like, it is one of the great movies of all time. Mm. I mean, not just horror. I mean, it is a masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination. Both him and Rob Bottin. You got a great score by Neil Morricone. You know, it's just, it's really such a, an amazing feat. And so I can't imagine what it's like to be watching that movie. And undeniably, you can't, like, how could he not be proud of the achievement that he pulled off such a great fucking movie? And then to just have it shit on like crazy. I mean, that that's like for any for a lesser man, like that could break you. Yeah, <laughs> like a guy that could make somebody just quit the business and you know go into real estate. And or it's something. A, it's a common thing with people. You get like you know uh, Orson Welles. It happened to you. yeah know, Charles Lawton, Night of the Hundred. It happened to people. It's uh, like coppers. What do you want yeah, from me? Wonderful people? life. It's like yeah, but then you have to. The, there's that idea. Like, do we wait twenty years to see if it's going to become a cult classic? It's like well. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But it's just for that opening weekend for it to bomb because, you know, arguably other stuff is, is in the... And know. we talked about how, like, ultimately that is what led to him doing Starman because he needed to show everybody that he wasn't, like, this pornographer of gore, that he could do a nice alien movie too. Yeah. But in between Starman and The Thing, you get Christine because all of a sudden he's developing uh, another Stephen King property, Firestarter. Yeah. And apparently, according to him, the script that he was working with, I don't think he wrote it, like the original script, but the film that he was developing had a fantastic script, and he was very excited about it. And then the failure of the thing, basically, they kind of fired him from it. They're like, well, we don't want you. <laughs> really? <laughs> you doing this. So he, if, if, if the thing succeeded, he would have went on to do Firestarter. Probably, yeah. Wow. That was like what was coming up. That's another movie from my childhood that I love that I haven't seen in 20 years, except yeah. I remember being R. Carney being in it and George C. Scott being, like, evil. <laughs> yeah. You know? Don't trust great, the guy with the eye patch. A great score by Tangerine Dream. Yeah. But uh, so the thing comes out. It's a flop. Uh, and Richard Kobritz, a producer who had produced Someone is Watching Me. Yes. Which, which was a television movie that Carpenter did. Just kind of like Rear Window in, like, what, 78 maybe? 77? Yeah, but I don't know. It might have actually been 78. You, you know, might be right about that. With what's-her-face. It's um, uh, his future Hutton? wife. Uh, yeah, Adrian Barbeau and yeah. Lauren Hutton. Is yeah. that her name? And uh, it's a television movie that he does. So this guy buys 
the property of Christine, which is a book that's not out yet. It's just a manuscript that Stephen King has written. Yeah, because he'd worked with uh, King. He'd on Salem's, Salem's Lot. Lot. So he said, show me what else you got, kid. And, and I guess King threw over a bunch of s- stuff he hadn't done yet. Yeah. And one of them was a manuscript on Christine. He's like, this is it. We're going to do this. And so, so this was greenlit even before Stephen King had, you know. It wasn't out yet. The yeah. book came out the same year as the movie. Yeah, and it's very controversial because a lot of people think, like, King fans that King kind of jumped the shark at that kind of point because this was the first book that didn't have his heart in it. Yeah, where he yeah. wrote himself in a corner because he tells the story from what's his face's point of view. Uh, who's Dennis? The, Dennis. So once Dennis hits the hospital, King realizes in this and he's like, "Crap, I've wrote myself into a corner because <laughs> my, my lead character is telling the story is in a hospital." Yeah. So what what King had done is he wrote the middle and then he had to go back and write the beginning and the end. So that's why all of a sudden in like the, I don't know what what part of the book is you have this third person narrative that's I like believe it's president. I believed that it's bookended with Dennis yeah his point of view and then in the middle when Christine is doing all the killings it takes this third part purse yeah point of view. which is kind of uh, people like find, how can Dennis yeah tell this when he's, when he's stuck <laughs> to a bed. yeah be from his point of view you know? he's not there yeah and there's a lot of interesting things that we can get into with the book that differs from the movie which yeah. I find that the movie makes cover better or even remedy you know yeah. the issues they had but a lot of some people have the issue with christine that you know when people whatever issues people nowadays have with king about being too wordy or being just you know this sure you know that they started to see that i well it's certainly and not a king book that a lot of people talk about yeah you know people talk about it and carrie still and and the dark tower stuff yes and the, the shining and, and, and all the all the early stuff you know people the still stand but the christine is not one that gets mentioned a lot which thinking back another little nostalgic thing for me is my mom had this car that she thought was haunted yeah <laughs> and she named it penny because it was like this coppery color, like this brownish color. And what kind of car it was? I don't remember what car, kind of car it was. And she ended up having a horrible car accident in this car uh, when I was really little. And so the only Stephen King book we had in the house was like a first edition, like hardcover of Christine. Yeah, I own because, that too. Because of that car. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So she read it and was like. <laughs> It's one of those situations. Which, you know, the, when we get more into the movie, we can talk about the differences. The car, it's like the car itself is uh, not as evil. It's more like it's haunted by the owner kind of thing. Yeah. But um, so Carpenter takes this job because he needed a job, you know, coming off of uh, coming off of John Carpenter's The Thing. <laughs> John Carpenter needed to work. Yeah. And he gets fired off a of Firestarter. And so uh, this is a movie that Carpenter has never really liked that much in his catalog one his heart really wasn't in it it wasn't a project that he originated it wasn't something that he threw himself into it was really a a work for hire and he looks at it that way he also kind of thinks that it's not scary how does the the producer get to it Cobritz? how does he get carpenter involved I think it just meets with Carpenter because they had worked together before. And oh, for someone to watch over me. He's yeah, like, you, you may like this thing. Yeah, he's like, I got this Stephen King yeah. property. Do you want to read it and and you want to work on it? And, and he was attracted to the to it because of America's obsession with like the cars. Yeah, the car. The you know, because you know, we're also coming off of you know the seventies and. Uh, you know, like American Graffiti, yeah, and stuff like that. Well, you have that. some of the greatest muscle cars of all time in the late sixties and seventies, but then with the 
kind of uh, with the oil crisis and everyone have you know that there was that those little time where you had to like line up for gas. That's when the industry realized they had to cut back, and that's when you see like the cars were getting bigger, 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 bigger until then. And then they're like, no, no, they get smaller, smaller, smaller <laughs> to yeah, get like yeah. fuel efficient. So people were starting to have this nostalgia for like, oh, these cars are starting to suck because they're getting smaller every year and more like you know the bells and whistles are growing yeah. away and they're thinking back to the glory days of their youth, much like we've the theme we talk about with people reminiscent about the 50s or 60s, sure. you know. With and the, this kind of fits into that. Yeah. It fits into that with King. I yeah. mean, King kind of picked the Fury because it was a car that was all but forgotten yeah. at the point at that point. He didn't want to he didn't want it to be about like this like really popular yeah. nostalgic car. Yeah, like he a fifty seven Chevy or yeah. something. People have already talked about a Thunderbird or stuff that people already knew that was in the the kind of like the psyche with the Trans Am for, you know, smoke smoking the band at a Camaro or Yeah. A, so he wanted to pick a GTO. car that would, you know, elicit that kind of like fifties nostalgia yeah. classic car and it, and it has a car but wasn't a, a model that people talked about and it ever. looks like i mean you know a 57 chevy is very iconic it, it, it that looks that has a look a, a cadillac certainly the 59 cadillac uh, yeah. that has a look so if you look at the fury a plymouth fury that has a look of those two cars kind of like combined it has that 50s kind of beautiful style styles with the the chrome and the you know the the, yeah, ta yeah. the tail fins we can get into the car later but yeah <laughs> so he picks this car and it's interesting that they keep that could have been something very easily that they changed going in the movie i don't sure. like the car so we're gonna make, make my it, own car make it a mustang yeah we're gonna make it a maxwell <laughs> you know or whatever the hell you know but uh so carpenter does this film and this has been a film that carpenter has never really uh loved out of his catalog and his big argument is, like, it's just not scary. Like, how could you really... Like, it's about a haunted car. Like, how scary could it be? Now, I submit to you... Dun-dun-dun! <laughs> exhibit A, Dion. Okay, yes. The idea of a haunted car is kind of... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Clichéd? No, no, not clichéd. But, I mean, it's kind of such an out, such of an outrageous idea that it's hard to... Take it seriously. Mm. And I also would submit to you, Dion Baia, that uh, if you really think about it, how many horror movies are genuinely scary? Uh, I'd, I'd say that there's, you know, there's a permission to treat the witness as a hostile <laughs> witness, Your Honor. There, it's, a, it's a select few. You're right. I mean, you the, know? I mean, I think it's the I think horror films are essentially very personal. Yeah. So people can find, they relate their own fears into sure. what they find. So some movies will touch people in other ways that other ones won't. But I also think the beauty of horror is, uh, like, it doesn't have to be scary. Many, many of my favorite horror movies I wouldn't consider that I'm, they, they scare me, but there are other things about them that I find interesting. Yeah. Like, for instance, Martin. Yeah. That's a movie that I don't find scary. I don't find that movie scary at all. George Romero's Martin. George Romero's Mar Martin. Um I don't find that movie scary, but I find it fascinating, and I love that movie. Yeah. It's one of my favorite movies. You're not worried about a guy who thinks he's a vampire coming out <laughs> to try to slit your vi yeah. wrist and suck your so, blood. Yeah, so, like, yes, I'm not worried about a haunted car Yeah, uh, that belongs to some kid that I used to bully in high school coming yeah. after me. But what I think what's interesting and unsettling about this movie is not the haunted car, but how the car changes Arnie. Yeah. It's like, it's that transformation that I think is scary. You know, if you're going to pick something that's scary about that, about this movie, like that's the frightening thing for me. And it's also kind of the most interesting. It's, 
how it's it's taking this like you know like well mannered you know heartfelt nerdy kid and innocent kid yeah yeah, and turning him into a monster and that it's like that transformation i mean it's almost like a a jekyll and hyde type thing now see for me i agree with you that is very fascinating. For me, it is scary because uh, I am a superstitious person. I can find something like that haunted or have bad yeah, vibes yeah. or thing. But what I agree with you with, and you know, not to sound sexist or anything like that, if you look at Christine, how you, <laughs> no, I didn't even get it out yet. If you if you treat Christine like a girl, yeah, yeah, you see, in, especially in high school, oh, well, a guy that, who you read my fucking mind, yeah. man. Let's oh, get okay, into so you know what I mean. You that that that'll make a transformation in people that will bring out any kind of emotion, be it bad or good. Absolutely, you know. Um, and then uh, the 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 nail this point home. It is interesting since we haven't got into it yet. Even though as differing the movie goes from the book, if you know it back to front, yeah you'll see a lot of the elements of the book actually still in there. Yeah, yeah. Like Arnie's transformation. Yeah. You know, shitters and yeah. except pussy. You know what I mean? Except it's like, for you hear he starts to talk like the brother. Yeah. Who sells he's, the car. he's talking like Robert's Blossom, even doing Robert's Blossom's ma- yeah, facial yeah. mannerisms, who I'm a huge fan of. We'll talk in a little while. Of. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, you kind of, you know, that, that, we're that's, taking our shirts off. That, right? That's part of the, like the whole thing is like the transformation is what uh, works for me on a horror on a horrific level. Yeah, for me at, at, in the movie, w- reasons why I think it's one of Carpenter's best directed and his best movies is one. I'm always very impressed by the f- fact when a director can take like an inanimate object or you know a a, a, a non-human object or thing in a movie and make that a completely believable character. I mean, I think that takes a, a pretty uh, strong grasp of the medium and storytelling that you believe wholeheartedly without ever no doubt that Christine is a character in this movie. Like, yeah. you, you buy into it. And it's because of how Carpenter treats the material, shoots the car. It, you know, it's perfect. And I would also argue, I would submit to you the <laughs> Exhibit A. <laughs> that out of all of Carpenter's catalog, that this movie is among the movies that does the best with character development and like uh, intercharacter like conflict. Yeah. And, you know, I think part of that is obviously the script, not so much directing but i think what's interesting about this movie is if you put it in the context of being an early 80s movie this is coming out in an era of teen movies yeah you have like last american virgin you have the john hughes movies it's in coming out in the midst you got like meatballs it's coming out of the midst of like all these teen sex comedies revenge of the nerds Uh, it's all part of this era and so this is that kind of movie but through like the lens of John Carpenter and Stephen King, yeah. which I think is fascinating because it it, it does a really great job of that um, that element of like teen melodrama, yeah. That you see even in some of the comedies like Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, so you get this beautiful like teen high school melodrama in the context of this horror movie through the lens of two like masters of the genre. Yeah. And I think that's also partly why 
in the grand scheme of things, there haven't been a huge amount of successful, um, arguably artistically successful King adaptations because the way King writes is so different than a movie. Yeah. Uh, so there's such different mediums and the people that the artists that tend to tackle King's stuff have a very distinct style themselves like Carpenter or Kubrick or even Toby Hooper with <laughs> sounds like yeah. or in the, you know, and Daramont doing the green mile. Yeah. And, and, and Romero. So they end yeah. up being this hybrid yeah, of his original version. Yeah. But it's like through the lens of an already established auteur. And for me, I think it works beautifully in this case well what, what's interesting is you also at this time you have a movie like say three o'clock high mm-hmm. where there's a that's a movie that's very serious about a bully and what i find with king's writing especially is that king king's bullies to me you know at, a lot of times uh i find that like uh in bully movies for the most part, I'm probably making a broad generalization, but a lot of times the bully is essentially just a pussy. Yeah. That, yeah. you know, you have to like punch in the face sure. or you have to beat up or he has to My get body. Hu- yeah, he has to get humiliated like in a, in a Christmas story. And then you find out he's a whimpering buffoon who's covering up for things. Yeah. For me, in Stephen King movies, that isn't the case with the yeah, bullies. Yeah. The bullies have a dangerous, deadly, and frightening side. Sure. Much like uh, a, a favorite of mine of his, the short story. Sometimes they come back. Yeah. Or um, I think there is there's another bu- there's the, like the bully. Isn't there a bully in it? You know what I mean? It's yeah, like yeah. so. It's like King's bullies have a well this I mean, level of seriousness on them. Like this guy in here, you think he's really gonna kill these kids? Sure, know what I mean? sure. And in that. I find different from these other movies where it's just a bully who are like, oh, come on, stop, you know. <laughs> and then if you stand up to him, he'll go away. Where this will, King's bullies will magnify and yeah. end up killing you and stuffing you in the trunk. You and know? it's definitely like a subgenre of King books. This yeah. like idea of like the revenge of the nerd. Yeah. Like subgenre, like Carrie. Yeah. And then there's that book that got taken off the market that he wrote like really early on about like, you know, some kid killing kids in school and stuff that I can't remember the name of. Um, and this movie, yeah. Yeah, like, there's this whole... And there's a lot of parallels with Carrie to this. Sure, yeah. Story plot-wise, you know, like kid being under, you know, being bullied, picked upon, he, a supernatural force helps him or her uh, find themselves and they take revenge using that supernatural force on the people who are yeah. abusing them, you know. Oh, totally. It's, yeah. it's there. There's a lot of parallels uh, between Carrie and Christine, but I would also say... Uh, Something that I didn't really think about until this viewing um, is that it, there's a lot of parallels with Halloween. Mm. It's his most Halloween-esque. Not just because it was shot in the same neighborhood. <laughs> I mean, Arnie's house happens to be. Yeah. <laughs> Down the block from what's-her-face, Nancy. And you know what? I wish I thought of that when I was in California. When I went to California like a, a month ago or so, I went on this expedition where I was taking pictures of every carpenter site, and I was all through that neighborhood. And it didn't even occur to me to look for the Christine house. Well, that's because we forgot about it. Next trip. You know, and it, you know, it's, it's like... Um, but it takes place in 1978. Yeah. Car, uh, and is Halloween, there a reason for that? Halloween is nineteen seventy. No, it's it's a very. That's what I was thinking. Like, I mean, I don't. There's that, really no reason why it needs to be nineteen except that he just wanted to be that time, you know. And you have it back a couple years, and they, yeah, I don't know why. Because, I mean, I guess it's because it makes Christine twenty years old, twenty five. Well, no, it makes Christine. Oh, 77. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, seventy eight. Yeah, yeah, twenty. I'm yeah. thinking when the movie. I mean, came but out, she, she could have been twenty five. You know. 
Who knows? Had it been 83, yeah, she's she would have been 25. Which is crazy to me to think that like 25 years ago, a car is what, 92? So it's like, I'm looking at like a, a Chrysler laser. I'm like, holy crap. You <laughs> know, or like, Taurus. Yeah, or an Eclipse. You know, and it's like, oh, this is what I need. Or like, you know. Uh, yeah, it is crazy to you know, put it in like a, that context. A Z-Rock and like whatever The you amount of time that we've known each other has been the amount of time since the like the, the car d- came off the assembly line. <laughs> yeah, and Arnie gets her. Um, and another movie I think you have an affinity for, because I've heard you bring it up on the cast, is Rebel Without a Cause. Well, yeah, yeah, and that sure. is another thing where like the vi- the the bullies in there are serious, like the bullies yeah. that are going against James Dean. Are well, there's a like, lot of that, you know. St- well, I mean, Rebel Wild Cause is like the original masterpiece of teen melodrama. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know? Yeah. and like I, I've that often blackboard jungle around that era where but you I've have often that. said that, like, especially as I get older, I watch slasher movies. And the first time this happened to me when was I when I went to go see the remake of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. And I think we've talked a lot about, like, especially in my late 20s and early 30s, being very nostalgic for high school and stuff. And it's kind of that nostalgia, in a lot of ways, is where this show and these kinds of discussions came, were kind of born from. But um, I went to see that, and I was just like, oh, God, I wish Freddy doesn't show up in this movie. Like, I just wanted to watch... Like a movie about teen girls and like their lives in high school. And I've said it about like Neon Maniacs when I'm watching that with the Hastings brothers. Like, man, I wish the Neon Maniacs never showed up. I'd really just like to watch this weird movie about this tomboy girl who likes to make special effects in her attic. You know, who's kind of a nerd in high school. So I have like this affinity for teen melodrama and Rebel Without a Cause is a perfect example. And you're right. There is, without a doubt, parallels. Not even all, to like Arnie, what he's wearing. Yeah, yeah he's even like the you know, jacket, the overt up. like costume choices, which are very James Dean esque from that. Because movie. it's the it's the brother. It's it's almost the ghost of the brother possessing yeah. him, kind of. But like his home life, you know, you can totally see Arnie. You know, before he becomes a badass, he's like and, and, and like beats his dad up. You yeah. know, before he gets to that, you could totally see Arnie being like, "You're tearing me apart." Oh yeah, him. Yeah, and then he throws Jimbacus around the he's, house. He's a little bit of a combination of like the Salminio and Dean, James Dean characters. Yeah. like that. Just, like he like starts off as Salminio, <laughs> but then he come, becomes James Dean. Yeah, Dean. yeah. But you could totally see that. And, yeah, and like that is. Uh, I don't think that's coincidence. I mean, I think they're definitely playing on that like '50s nostalgia for one, but. That whole idea of the the crazy thing about being a teenager, which kind of ties into what you were talking about with like teen love, and I think so many things are out of your control when you're a teenager. Like you don't even realize it. You know, you kind of feel like you're an adult, but you're not really an adult yeah, yet, yeah. and you're still living under your parents' roof and. You have rules that you need to abide by. You're not the boss of me. And you have school. But there's also all this all this stuff where you're experiencing things for the first time. And love is one of those things. And I think that this movie what you were saying about like how a, like a girl can change a guy. I think that's... And I'm sure it's universal. A, oh, a, gr- sure. a guy can change a girl, or a girl can change a girl, or whatever you're... But, but because... Whichever way you swing. But because we're guys, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's how we kind of... That's what we identify with, and because this movie is so clearly about a guy in love. Yeah. Um, I think this movie is, like, the perfect example of, like, the intensity of teen love. Yeah. Like, when you fall in love when you're in high school, it's 
it it's a it's a an emotion that you've never felt before and it seems so strong yeah i mean literally you know like romeo and juliet is written about this yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean and it, it's like because you have all these hormones yeah. going on and you're never gonna find the same one again and this, and is, this is the first and only love and you know you, how can you want the rest of your life it's, it's just like it's so intense and you don't realize that like you know you have the whole rest of your life ahead of you but right in that moment it's it's like borderline obsession yeah. if not just obsession and i think this movie kind of does that beautifully and that's a delineation people don't know especially <laughs> young people that you could be in love or are you obsessed yeah you know and that's something you don't realize very quickly until you're you know you're stalking your ex at three in the morning following <laughs> them where he or she's going yeah, yeah. or nowadays i guess on facebook you're 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 snooping you know what yeah I mean? you're or, or just like the mistake of infatuation with yeah. love you know you don't really know the difference yet and you, I'm sure there's a lot of adults that don't either. But yeah. uh, that's the other thing. That the teen melodrama, the parents, the nerd, the bully, that's all part of it. But this is also like the perfect example of a guy falling for the wrong girl. Like, yeah. well, like you said earlier, like Arnie falls head over heels, love at first sight for a fucking mean, jealous bitch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that is... Possessive. Uh, that's possessive and vindictive. Controlling. controlling. It just happens to be a haunted car. Yeah. But I think, you know, um, you could, you know, someone could look at it, uh, that relationship uh, and Artie's transformation stuff as being like kind of jaded or far fetched, but I think it's totally fucking accurate. Yeah. Like his obsession with Christine is so spot on to like that teen love thing that. Uh, and I just I think these are things that people don't think about when they think about this movie and that's why I think this movie's still kind of underrated because this movie is, has like layers when you kind of get into it um, not to mention that like Keith Gordon delivers all that stuff so beautifully yeah he's amazing he had a very short career acting wise and he, he directs now right yeah he went into directing yeah. and John Stockwell also went into directing he's like yeah. both these guys any relation to Dean is that like Dean's son I used to think he was Dean Stockwell's son but in researching for this I don't think he, he didn't see any correlations but uh, yeah all the team melodrama stuff of course look there's no doubt about it that Buddy Rupperton looks like he's 35. Yeah, I know. They, they, yeah, yeah. You know, like, there's some stuff you got to suspend disbelief. Like, even for, like, the guy that's failed a couple of times, the old guy that's still in school, he still looks a little bit too much older than everybody else. Um, but, you know, barring that, I mean, putting that aside, uh, and the language, which we can get into, like, why there's so much language, a bad, foul language in this movie. Um, there's actually a very specific weird reason for it. But... Uh, I just think that so much of it is so beautifully executed and that idea of teen... And even at the time, even though this movie was not a huge success, critics did... A lot of critics did kind of praise it for, like, for representing, like, high school life accurately. Yeah, I mean, it is to a certain extent. I mean, there is... Oh, it always I it, I always forget the name of the movie, but there is a movie around the time where it's, like, the teens at the end of the movie... Um, uh, go to the PTA meeting and they lock up the, the parents. They they run amok. It's a very p- specific, just like it's like from like seventy eight or seventy nine, where the it's the the teens are you know in California like skateboarding in the underground pools and the <laughs> parents can't control them. And then they at the end of the movie yeah. they go to like a 
they go to a PTA meeting and the, 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 the kids lock the parents up in an auditorium. It's I know people are yelling at their headphones now, but it's like you had that worry at the time with like the sure. warriors, the you know, much like. 20 years before with juvenile delinquency, like that the, the kids are going this way. And in, in this movie with the, um, what's his face, William Ostriner, the, the bully in this is just very much with the Morrison haircut. He's very much <laughs> yeah. like... Uh, well, you know what I think you know, is funny? This is something, not this not this time that I watched, because I also watched this movie in September. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's well, yeah. Like, a, like a month and a half ago for my birthday. And I might have even watched this movie in the, over the summer when I sat in on the wrong wheel cast where we talked about John Carpenter. But I realized that and it's kind of changed my view of the bullies in this movie. So they're totally like uh archetypes? Well yeah, but they're like the bad version of the sweat hogs. Like yeah. doesn't he kind of seem like Vinny Barbarino? Yeah. <laughs> And, and then you got the one guy with the thrown out hair. He's kind of like horse kind of horse Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like if the sweat hogs were bullying Arnie in school. But they're deadly. They're like even, what's his face? Mooch. Is that his name? Moochie. Yeah. Moochie. He's, you know, he's like, he's got a very lethal and vindictive side. It's funny. I went to a horror convention several years ago and um, Buddy Rupperton and Moochie were at their horror convention. And I frequently get autographs for people for friends yeah so i went and i got um moochie's autograph for steve hastings and i got buddy rapperton's for dave and i just i said well i said i'm a huge fan of this movie but these guys like love christine and the guy uh I f- you just said his name the guy that plays buddy rapperton oh uh, william alstroner Al- sorry william alstroner <laughs> uh he's like oh he's like um can I kind of, can I fuck with Dave a little bit and the signature? And I said, sure, do whatever you want. I think he'd think it was hilarious. So he says, to Dave, quit being such a Cunningham, Dave. And <laughs> 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 then he signed it. Uh, so yeah, super nice guy, you know, kind of uh, having a little fun with Dave in that picture. But uh, yeah, that. so now I, every time I see the bullies in this movie, I think of Welcome Back, Cotter. <laughs> They do have that kind of like a, they're very much like the cliched bully. They have the small kid with the big, the Af- white kid with the afro, the very good looking guy, like I said, with the Morrison haircut, who's, yeah, the, yeah. who's the, the muscle guy. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's talking about like, it's, you know, borderline silly how old he looks, but I think it kind of works because he looks so menacing. Yeah. You know, like he's even you, imposing on the teacher. Had, yeah. Like point. had you had a guy, had you had a kid even fit but be like 18 or 20 and maybe this guy was that young i don't know because back then everyone looked that old but um but if you have somebody look more age appropriate like like the intimidation wouldn't be as strong especially when he's he's going after the uh the the, the, what do you call that the the what do you call that the uh, home ec or what what is the guy the The shop the shop teacher yeah when he's going after because he threatens the shop teacher yeah yeah. it's like you know then you're like whoa (laughs) Everyone, that's when the records get screeched and everyone's like this is serious because this guy's like you know but he is very menacing well like, you, you, you realize how bad he is he, he he swears to god he doesn't have a knife and it's like yeah, oh my yeah. god this guy has no no morals <laughs> you know and then he takes the knife out and he's like you know and then he threatens the he threatens arnie in front of the teacher and all that kind of a thing yeah well the mr casey like shop teacher i have i had a little note that like i was we were watching I'm like mr casey's a bit of a badass <laughs> yeah, he takes them on. Yeah, you he know doesn't I mean? give a fuck. No, he's, he's like, like, I'm sick of you little pets. Yeah, <laughs> I got to deal with this every fucking day. My wife, my life sucks. My wife left me. Off my hair uh, because uh, you kids. I'm a drunk and I'm working in this freaking shop. <laughs> I'm gonna call the cops. 
So, well, this isn't the first time we have a, um, a, a haunted car kind of a thing. You know, we go back to as, uh, you know, I'm, I was trying to rack my brain of like classically stuff that has, you know, possession. You have like the Flying Dutchman. Uh-huh. You know, that kind of a thing. And then you, you get through, my you know. My mother, the car. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, <laughs> this is all on the list. You get my mother, the car, which was like people say. Which I a, was just watching the other day. Yeah, because it's on. <laughs> on, one, it's, on like Antenna or one of those things. Yeah, that's a 1965 to 66 uh, sitcom with Jerry Van Dyke. Yeah. Dick's, uh, I don't Brother. know if he's older or younger, what, what relation she is. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and it's and it's it's the ghost of his mom, right, in this it's jalopy. In car, but yeah. he has a family and kids. But it's a jalopy. It's like yeah. a it's yeah. like one of those you have to get out in front and like turn it, turn the crank to turn over the engine. Uh, you have that. You have um, there's a really uh, great Twilight Zone episode called You Drive, which is it has a Ford Fairlane in it, where the guy <clears throat> is driving the Ford Fairlane. Great, great movie. Yeah, great movie. <laughs> and he hits a kid. Nice. And and the kid um now yeah the movie Ford Fairlane. I was like, I just, <laughs> and then the and then the car ends up following the guy and trying to get the guy to come get in and then he finally you know, the, the, he wants the guy to own up that he he hit and run this kid yeah. uh you have uh nightmares the movie we like which at the end of it there's a uh, a movie called yeah there's a there's a scene in that called the benediction with uh that that has about a haunted car you have kill dozer which is a movie i just watched this this uh, season about a killer bulldozer you have a, a movie i loved maximum overdrive growing up i had well, like stephen king yeah two or three years he wrote and directed the only movie directed right? yeah that was off a short story called trucks of his uh you have the love bug which isn't uh, necessarily a, an evil car, but it's certainly something like it's a haunted Something's car. Something's going on. Yeah, there. something you know. There's some backstory they're not telling us. About Herbie. <laughs> There's something evil. As long as you stay on Herbie's good side, that VW's good side. Um, you have sometimes, and then you get into the. the you have the. Uh, well, there's a couple of other like '70s horror movies, right? Well, yeah, you have you get into the idea if if it's a car or if it's a driver. We said Duel, the Stephen yeah. King movie, Richard Matheson, but there, we believe there's a driver behind that. There's the car with uh, James Brolin, in <laughs> which we also think you know there's maybe a driver inside. There's uh, the hearse from 1980, which I think there's a driver inside. There's uh, a, a movie of mine I love, a TV movie called uh, Death Car on the Freeway by Hal Needham. 1980 has a slew of uh, actors. It's on YouTube. I highly recommend it. It's about a guy in like a conversion van. And it's really fucked up. He has a souped up conversion van and he's in LA and he gets up women's asses in their cars. And if they... He gets way up there. (laughs) And he's he's in his van. You You never see who he is. He just has this really decked out car and he's got this stick shift. And what happens is the women will, you know, get out of his way and then some of them will try to cut him off to show him like, you know, you can't be the driver of me. And what he does is he has an A-track player and he puts in this A-track of this really crazy like country backwoods fiddling uh-huh. and then he cranks it and then he drives him off the road and he kills him like by like, you know, driving him off the side of the freeway or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. they start saying like, there's this, there's this maniac killing people. Crazy hillbilly. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you never know who he is but what he does is then he goes home and he, and he paints the car or he'll take the, the flames off and he'll put something so you never but he's always got the, it's like a dodge ram he's got mm-hmm. this and it's and it's a, you know i said hal needham who people know did the Smokey and the bandit movies he was a big car uh which we covered man. Smokey and the bandit we did Smokey and the bandit um we talked much about Hal needham in that episode. we did yeah and i think he might have just passed at that time so that's a great movie sometimes they come back same thing short stephen king story that they turned into a movie a tv movie starring uh what's his face timothy matheson 
where that's about bullies coming back, but they have like a haunted car in it, mm-hmm. and the whole thing is about a car, and it, and, and, uh, it takes place in the original story in Bridgeport, Connecticut. You, the Wraith? The, you have The Wraith, <laughs> yeah, from 1986. One also, my, one of my favorites. So there's this. I realize there's this. There's this whole. There might also be subgenre of. I, I could be mistaken, but I feel like there's like this crazy obscure Larry Cohen movie that has to do with like an like an old style haunted ambulance. Well, there is a movie called The uh, Ambulance from like the late '80s with James Earl Jones. Oh, I don't know if that's it, but uh, for some reason well, I've never seen. But I, 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 we bought a videotape, and it had that as one of the trailers at the beginning. So I know the trailer by heart, but I never saw the movie. And I think it's one of those things as well as where they had James Earl probably just for a day, <laughs> but they been one minute. But uh, and James Earl Jones. Uh, let's see what else we have. There's 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 a quite a bit more. There's uh, the Ghost Ship from 2002, which I loved about a haunted ship. Mm-hmm. Great opening. Yeah, you, you, great opening. Uh, you have Death Ship from 1980 with George Kennedy, which I just watched about a year ago about a Nazi a floating Nazi hospital where they were doing all these kind of crazy experiments. The ship comes out of a fog, takes people on, and they become crazy and they kill people. Uh, Sounds like the fog. Yeah, exactly. Basically <laughs> like a version of it. But it's pre, it's 1980, so what year is the fog? 80. 80? 80. Yeah, 80. 80 you know, and it's, that's another one that has like a crazy cast. You have the song Phantom 309, or Big Joe and the Phantom 309, which is a country song that mm-hmm. a couple people cover yeah, in the yeah. 70s, which uh, I think Tom Waits does a cover of, which then kind of morphs into Large Marge from um, uh, Pee Wee Herman. Mm-hmm. That's about the haunted truck. Uh, what else do you have? There's a great TV movie, which I loved, 1990, called Wheels of Terror, starring our favorite Joanne Cassidy. Where yeah. she's a bus, she's a bus driver, like in Arizona, and there's this crazy charger that's killing people. It's stealing. He's like a pedophile. He's stealing kids, and he's you know. So you have this whole subgenre of. So, I was doing research the other night. I can see that, and I'm th- yeah, it's all over this place. <laughs> and, I'm th- and I was thinking like the time frame of like me loving Christine growing up, and then me loving Maximum Overdrive when that came out in like 1986 into 87, and I remembered. When I moved out of my house uh, in the city to the suburbs in 86 to 87, there was an episode of a TV show I watched that I never knew the name of that I only saw once, but I remembered the entire plot and scheme of the episode. So last night I was like, you know, I have to find out what the name of this show is because this is kind of reticent on what we're talking about here. And it's the show called The Wizard. Do you remember the show? It's from 1986 to 1987. Only had one season. It star. It stars David Rappaport, which is a, a, a small person. Uh-huh. I think he's also in like, um, uh, what's the name? What's the how the the um, Time Bandits? Time. Yeah, he's in Time Bandits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it has the other guy, Douglas Barr, who I think is the Lee Majors's psychic in the Fall Guy. Okay. And it's about this this small person is a toy inventor. And he is this really like, um, uh, what do you call that? Kind of like uh, eccentric toy maker. And he decides he wants to fight crime and, okay. and, and, and make all these different things. So that's the, and the show only got about 12 episodes. But I watched an episode, it's season one, episode three, and it was called Haunted Memories. And it's about that there's this guy who killed these, this kid back in the 50s, this couple. And for some reason, they want to try to get him to admit that they did it. So what the toy maker does is he takes the car that, that the kids were last seen in, he soups up the car and he puts the driver's seat in the trunk so he can drive because he's a small person in the <laughs> yeah, trunk. Yeah. And the car starts showing up at this guy's house. And what they find out is this guy owns a gas, gas station for how many years? And this is me, I've never watched it since 86, but I remember the plot. <laughs> 
the guy yeah. when he when he redid his gas station, he never took out the the petrol or the gas tanks that are underneath the gas station that, that the truck you know the truck comes the tanker truck fills the gas up and that's where you get your gas from. Uh-huh. He hid the two bodies in the gas tanks underground, and that's what we end up finding out. But they have to make the guy confess to it. So what they do is they have the car show up, and the car is playing the Penguins uh, Earth Angel probably because it was just in. Back to the Future it was popular at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this haunted episode of this, it, you know, I don't think it's a 57 Chevy, but it's very that-esque. Sure. So I remember this for years, and I was like, oh, my God, you know, and then thinking of this, like, oh, I'll go back and watch it. It's very much like this, where this guy's being played by this haunted car yeah, with his yeah. lights. He gets into the car, and the car is driving erratically, brings him to the gas station. He's like, what do you want from me? <laughs> you know, and yeah. then, then the, he finally confesses, they're in the basement or wherever they are, you know, and it's like the toy maker's like, another story done, you know, like, you know, so it's like. It reminds me, there's an episode of Dukes of Hazard where they, I don't know, it's like people think Bo and Luke are dead, or they fake their death, and there's. And they have like a haunt, like a specter. Like they have like the, 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 the I forget his name. The guy that Jesse, Uncle Jesse. No, the guy like their mechanic guy. Cooter. Front. They have Cooter like soup up <laughs> the car so that they can drive the. So it's like the General Lee's driving around by itself, <laughs> but they're like really in the car, like looking through, looking something. low, and they like paint <laughs> the car like a. You know, like an iridescent orange that like glows or something. This is like this is going See? straight memory. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, isn't it weird? So you from the 80s. that's what. So this is what blew my mind when I was thinking about the pre-pro for this episode. It's like there even there's like an episode of Voyager called uh, Alice where there, there's a shuttlecraft that has becomes like artificial intelligence. So there's a so there's a sub 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 genre of mm-hmm. and and I think the the creme de la creme is probably Maximum Overdrive where you have this world where this green. I don't know what it is. Uh, stuff comes and takes over the Earth and turns the Earth into like an like an oval, yeah, and yeah. then it, everything that has electronics from like a electric steak knife to a truck becomes self aware and tries to kill. And for me growing up, that was so frightening. All the trucks, especially coming to life, and all that the Mack mm-hmm. trucks and the Peter Belts and all these these uh, Kenworths, and it's it was just it was so amazing. It was for me like the creme de la creme. So it's funny to think that there is like this whole subgenre of these freaking movies. And Christine is another one of these things where it's like, yeah, but you never which is like the thing that Carpenter says is like not scary about this but there is like this whole subgenre yeah, I mean even Car- even King and he did another he did the you know we have the Mangler which is another short story yeah. of his about a printing press that goes crazy killing people which they made into uh, Toby Hooper yeah, made yeah, into a movie reality bullshit bullshit yeah <laughs> Uh, he did another 2002 uh, thing from a Buick 8, which is another kind of like a go- haunted car story. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a third two short story with um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's what's the name with the uh, with the guy taking the person on a ride to like the to the roller coaster. There's another short story that's very popular. I forget what the hell the thing's called, but there's a whole bunch of these. And so from the beginning of this, you have the car coming out of, of the assembly line. And I like the idea that from the beginning, you see this this car is inherently evil. Yeah. In the book, the car is. It's not. It's not ever said what's what's going on with the car. Yeah. It's supposed that the car is maybe a vessel, and it's the ghost of um, what's his face, Roman Roland LeBay. LeBay, who owned the car, and it's his vessel that once he dies, he's able to like possess the car. I like in this, you get the scene at the beginning in Detroit. Right off the assembly Detroit line, City. you have that there's this, the, how Carpenter frame, it's, I mean, it's, it's one from, from first shot, you have the Carpenter-esque setups of his, of his 
beautiful, uh, you know, um, uh, framed uh, angles and stuff. Every, if coming down the line, <laughs> yeah. you see, you're, they're they're really, you're almost making love to the car with the camera. How it just really like it's like it's like a sexual object. Sure, it's amazing that if you look beyond the car you see every guy stopping and looking at the car yeah you know the only one that's red yeah you know and and, and, and we, we'll get into the car in a minute but it's like the, the car was only available in buckskin beige uh but they do say that the, this fury is a special order and they could do special orders back then so if you look at all the other cars on the assembly line which were every other car they bought like 28 cars for the movie they had to do the scene first because those are all the cars they had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All those other cars are the original <laughs> color. It's it's the it's the buckskin beige, except her. And I love she's coming down the line. You see everyone looking at her, checking her out. And that scene you said where that scared you as a kid is yeah. when the guy opens the hood, looks, and puts his hand on it. To me, it was like oh, you're. It's like almost he's putting his hand on the girl's thigh. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like you're putting, and then you know, Christine don't like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, like I, I, so it's funny when I since I hadn't seen it in 20 years, I thought Christine was only reactionary. I remembered when the black guy from Die Hard 2 gets into the car shortly after, I remember him turning the radio and he ashes on the car. Yeah. Look, he's ashing. That's fucked up. She's going to react and she kills him. Yeah, yeah. So it was startling to me. I forgot that, she, no, he just has his hand on the hood there, or not the hood, on the engine block. Yeah, yeah. And the hood comes, it's like, she's not just reactionary. She has, she, like you said, she's a vindictive bitch. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. So it's very interesting that, like, I thought for all these years that she's just reacting to these people, you know, yeah. jealousy well, you know, or whatever. There, there's an interesting point of view there where if we look at Chris, the movie Christine from, like, a different angle, okay, it's this haunted car and she makes the kid crazy and she's killing people and blah, blah, blah. But if you look at it from a slightly different view through a different lens... Arnie's this kid who's picked on the shitters of the world. Yeah. And Christine is his hero. Here's this girl that comes to, to his life, makes him cool. Yeah. You know, cleans him up, makes him tough, makes him cool, eliminates all the guys that are assholes to him. <laughs> like you could totally... And makes him, yeah, it makes him um, like sexy for other people or, or yeah, attractive. She, ma she makes him like a sex symbol. She makes him cool. So when he starts she, going out with... And she protects him from, from the shitters of the world. And then when he starts going out with this other girl, it's it's almost a competition. It's a, it, it's a, it's a love triangle. Yeah. It's a horrible love triangle. So you have then, you know, uh, you have the black guy get into the car and I love he turns the radio on and then... Um, the, what, what's the first song that they're playing and the damn, damn thing it's like um, uh, you gotta give your love to me or something like that and uh, he ashes on, on the th and the thing and then the next minute he's she's dead yeah. he's dead it's great it's already and then you set it up and that's it and that's, <clears throat> that's the end of the thing well you know where is going with the Halloween comparison yeah uh, we got kind of sidetracked by the neighborhood <laughs> that it said it was also a lot of it was shot in South Pasadena but let's t you know if we look at it um you know, at least for the first movie, Michael Myers is this evil, unstoppable force. Mm -hmm. and, we don't, and as an audience, we don't know why. Yeah. We don't know how he got that way. <laughs> you know, we kind of see him. We open with a flashback scene of kind of his origin yeah. story, which is the way... All Christine, POV. Which, which is the way Christine kind of opens with, like, the origin story of Christine. Uh, and that, you know, this un you know Christine is an unstoppable... She's the Terminator at yeah. the end of this movie. She, like, won't die. Now, if you also look a little bit deeper and you kind of open your mind a little bit, the first your mind. The first scene that we see when Dennis picks up Arnie 
to go to school. Yeah. And it's a driving scene. So two of them in a car talking about girls. Yeah, in the, in the Charger. Yeah, in Dennis's car. Uh, Beautifully you know, shot again. You know. and, and Arnie wants a girl. Yeah. And Dennis is like, why don't you go out with this girl and blah, blah, She's blah. She's a cum sperm bank <laughs> and this other girl. And- but there's a parallel scene in Halloween where Annie and Lori are driving around. And they're listening to "Don't Fear the Reaper." Yeah, <laughs> and they're and she's talking about Ben Tramer. Lori's looking for a guy, and she ends up finding Michael Myers. Yeah, in this driving scene between two friends, around the same time of year, even I mean, it's you know that's October. That's a month later in October, but in September, beginning of school of the school year, Arnie and Dennis are driving around. Arnie's looking for a girl, and he ends up finding Christine. And we're never told that that's in Illinois, too, right? This is in Illinois. Because it'd be cool if this actually happened no, in the no. same... I mean, it's this, shot in the same I, airport, I but can you imagine says, this was still... It says some city in California. Okay, if it was in But you could totally see that, like... You know, like I said, that's in 78. This takes place in 78. Yeah. Uh, and just, like, Chris, there's a lot of... Just a lot of parallels. Like, that unstoppable force, which... You know, Carpenter kind of took inspiration from uh, Westworld... For that, you know, with Michael Myers, Yul Brenner kind the of the Yul Brenner like couldn't be Man in Black. Just Draw kept, just kept on coming. Love it, uh, love it. But that's <laughs> love it, love it. Uh, but there's just like there's a lot of stuff that teenage life, suburbia, the evil, like the unexplainable evil, yeah, uh, and how that influences the teen life and stuff. It's just uh, well, like I said here, it's like I. In the book, it's it's kind of you don't really know what what the idea with Christine is, but I like in this movie that you kind of and then this also got me thinking of what other you know you have the a mermaid or a banshee or a siren, the female kind of a, uh, a malevolent force, a poltergeist, or whatever that will latch on to a man or a woman, yeah, for either to use them or to love them and then leave them or whatever. And I like the idea that the that they the backstory or the 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 epilogue to this is that you know you don't know how it happened, but right off the gate something's in yeah. her. Yeah, I love you that I mean? about like as opposed to the book where the book is ah uh, you know maybe he sacrificed something to the car to have the car be a vessel, and then when the guy dies, the first owner he's possessing the car. Yeah, and like LeBay's ghost is in the car in the book. And yeah, they say that they eliminated that from this. Where you actually see him at the end of the book, too, when they're trying to kill him. He comes out, and he's trying to tell, have him but stop. But it's like he's sitting in the car, like, talking to Arnie and stuff. And yeah. they say they eliminated that because they it was too reminiscent of, like, Griffin Dunn's character in America Werewolf in London. Yeah. Um, with the Dave Nolan character. Yeah, uh, his Carp- best friend Carpenter now looks back and, and wonders, like, was it a good idea to eliminate that? And I personally think it was great. Like, But I also love this movie. Like... So much about this movie works for me. And the fact that it's just this haunted car. They don't even know that it's haunted. It's just like there's, it's a car, yeah. you know? Uh, but there's all these like little things like you're saying that it's it's red, you know? And, th- and that was a special order. So that must mean that like Roland LeBay ordered Christine. Yeah. Like he didn't go to some... You no, know, he ordered he ordered <laughs> off the line like you can do in the back then. If that should paint it yeah, red. No. And I wonder, you know, this watching it this time, I don't know if I've ever thought this before, but when his brother comes, the guy, the creepy old guy in the Robert's Blossom. Robert's Blossom. And the <laughs> they put him in that the back of the back. Okay. Yeah, we'll get into him. But so but he comes and we were talking about the scene where people like, you know, you oh, she'll start, you know, but you need these. And he says, well, why don't you start her up? And I was wondering this time if he te- 
tells Arya to start her up to see if she'll start. If for she Arya. won't start, yeah, it, they're not a match. Yeah, yeah, because he's so easy to eager to give it away. But if but Christine has to pick you almost. Yeah, yeah. You know, so he this must time know that. I was like, you know, because oh, like, the car doesn't look like it's any kind of condition to start. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he's. I'm like this time around. I'm like he wants her to start it, so but to see if Christine. Well, that's he. Wants yeah, because he alludes to that. Uh, Roberts Blossom says that too. You know, you're, you're stupider. I forget what. Oh, I well, he says the lines. to Dennis, What's, but yeah, yeah. What I'm saying to Dennis, he goes, "You're, you're stupider he's than like, you if think." I, well, if already never would have bought the car if you knew if he knew that somebody died in it. He's yeah. Like, well, then you know you don't know your friend very well. Yeah, like, and you're stupider I've seen than that you look. look or whatever. My, my brother, my brother had that look. When yeah. Kind of oh, Roberts Blossom, amazing character actor, New Haven's own. There's a lot of great character actors. Yeah. Whole movies full of full of people. Uh, Roberts Blossom, uh, born 1924, died 2011. He was a film uh, actor, television actor, stage actor. Born in New Haven, grew up in Cleveland and Shaker Heights, Ohio, which I think is where maybe um, Paul Newman's from. Uh, he he became an actor. He went to school for psychology. Uh, he came to New York, and he, interesting enough, uh, between acting jobs. Um, made money by waiting tables and then bundling feathers together and making hats. Hmm. But he also practiced a disputed form of therapy called Dianetics in the 50s. Interesting. Very early on. Uh, he is in, for people most notably, uh, he is the old man in Home Alone. Uh-huh. He is in, for me, a very, very a powerful role in Escape from Alcatraz. He's the poet who ends up cutting his, or the painter who ends up cutting his fingers off. And um, he plays in 1974, uh, Ed Gain in a movie called Derange, which I'd never seen. Oh yeah, you know I never put two and two together on that one. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's actually that movie's not specifically. It's inspired by Ed Gain. Yeah, uh, but he's not playing specifically Ed Gain. But of the movies inspired by Ed Gain in that period, which is you know got sixty, you got Psycho, seventy three, you have Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Deranged is the story that's most accurate. Even though I don't think he's playing Gain. Yeah, Uh, you know. I've seen that movie a million times. But I've never like, seen it. And as soon as you said that, I pictured it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that is him in you that know? movie. And I find him to be such a great character actor. And he's just got that. He does. You see him in Home Alone. He does that weird thing with his mouth yeah. and him having a full beard and being really gaunt looking. And you could tell he just knows his craft so well. And, he, and, and you know, I've, I had an affinity for him going back to my love for Clint Eastwood in Escape from Alcatraz because he has such a, uh, a, an amazing and uh, emotional part in that. Sure. And then knowing him from Home Alone and then seeing him in here and I completely forgot. Since he's also in uh, Doc Hollywood. Yes, he is. Fox, yeah. And he's from a uh, favorite of mine, The Quick and the Dead. Yeah, that's his last film role, The Quick and the yeah. Dead, I think it was. And uh, he in just the two scenes he's in, just for me, he steals the show. He's just so good. Like He's so believable with the looks he gives people, the reactions, what he says about his brother. It's so haunting that, you know, that it, that is, you know, and, and, and you're almost like, it almost made me think like, is there a brother or is it him? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, you know, he's like, he's talking about like the, the daughter died in the oh, car. He, well, yeah, he's you great. Know? And he's like, you know, and I never said anything until what's her face. And yeah, then, like, he, then he's like, I had her give her the his car. wife. <laughs> yeah, for decency, you know, and, yeah. he's in the, and she came back. <laughs> I love that he's Three all weeks like later. crusty and dirty and he's got yeah. that back brace And he's on. got a walk. You're looking at, he has a walk that he kind of like pops when he walks and it's just... You, for me, if you didn't have a guy like that in that kind of a role yeah. as eccentric, it would and be I, cartoonish. Yeah, and it wouldn't be believable. But and you it wouldn't ed, sell it. But it kind of grounds his performance, grounds the movie in a kind of reality. Yeah. That, because this movie is so kind of like out there in terms of, uh, it's just it's such like a weird idea. 
It that wouldn't play right if you didn't have you the right. That you need somebody. You know, he's like um, Wilford Brimley in The Thing. Yeah. You think he's a nut to begin with, but you don't realize that, like, this is, this, uh, in, in Robert's Blossom's point of view, this probably destroyed his family's life, and he looks like a kook. Yeah, yeah. But he's actually this, you know, he's had but this. He's, but he's so good that... Which I think he all brought to himself. I bet you he brought all that. Oh, well, I mean, I'm sure they well, told him to wear the brace. The brace, I think, is yeah. in the book. Yeah, because that's the the, the the original person had a back brace. Because yeah, then, and then Arnie ends up wearing it. Yeah, because brace he's, because it, he hurts himself fixing the car up. Um, so but the he's, ba- but so the back brace is probably in it. But like, you need somebody with enough like gravitas to to like anchor this movie in a reality. Yeah, to make it to make an audience buy it. Yeah. You know, like, it's so, it's such a weird, like, outlandish idea that you need the, the guy that's kind of, like, the impetus of the story <laughs> yeah. needs to be somebody that you buy so strongly that you're willing to go on this crazy ride. Yeah. And he fucking nails it. Yeah, and in, in the two George scenes, LeBay. It's, he just completely sells it. And it's like this haunting, he's the, he's the one who tells you this haunting backstory about the car, you know, and then and that, I think he also gives the first inkling that something's up with the well, car. he's also like, the only guy that has to like has the like you know unflattering job of delivering exposition yeah but because the exposition is so creepy and he's so good at it like it yeah. doesn't feel he's like exposition like yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. you're like you're almost at the edge of your seat oh my god who's this guy you know and he knows i think he knows what he's doing here he knows what he's getting rid of you know and, and like you said i think he need the cars it looks well, like the been there. moment he says like well you know he got you know and it's the only time i stepped in and they're out of decency you know told him to get rid of the car but but christine came back three, three weeks, weeks later. later yeah and then you're like what the fuck he's like, what do you mean came back but like that line and, and then, then he looked then his look yeah when he says what do you mean came back and he goes <laughs> you know, he looks at him. He's like, "What, what do you fucking think I mean?" You know, he's like, she fucking came back. Dude. Yeah, but the fact that his he says it with a look without saying anything, uh, and then the also it's like it's like literally like chills. Yeah, when he's like, and then th- and then she came back three weeks later because he it's like pass it's like he throws it out there. Yeah, like, like this of is, course she did. Like yeah. this is the story. I'm not. It doesn't. Uh, it's not like believe. Like, would you listen to this? That that car came. You know, it's like it's just part of the. Yeah, this is. It's this expected. Is, this is his life that he's had to deal with. It's ruined his whole family because he said his his brother had it. He was the brother was the first owner. Special ordered it. He cared more about anything than the car. He drive around listening to that music. Hopped his up. His daughter. Died, died in the, the back car. Now, it? in the book, it says it's it's supposed to be rumored that the daughter chokes on a hamburger, and at first you find out she chokes on a hamburger in the car, but then it's supposedly rumored that while she's choking on the hamburger, he, Roland puts her into the car to die in the car. Yeah, yeah. Almost like that's he's like offering sacrifice. the car, yeah, sacrifice. So that's why we don't know if the car is a vessel to something else or what the hell. And then his wife dies in the car of monoxide poisoning, and then... Blossom tells that his brother does it too. Doesn't he say about the tail, the pipe? Well, he doesn't sound that the brother died in the car. But when we meet Darnell, he's like, "I used to know a guy that owned a car like that." Like, now you think it's the same? You think Darnell talking about? He knows. He knows Lebay. So you think he knew that he said it? Because then, then who? The mother? Did the mother? The, who, then goes the mother out to get the says, when we the went per- to register the yeah. car, they told us that the previous owner died in the car, and that's when Dennis goes back to George Lebay and says like. What are you doing? Like Arnie never would have bought. That's that exchange. Yeah, Arnie never would have bought the car. He thought somebody died in it. So what's the what's the psychology on the car? Then why would the car want to kill its owner unless the owner is doing it himself? 
You know, the car you think would want the owner to stay alive. I don't know. Maybe he killed, you know? him. maybe he killed himself. Yeah. He died in the car, took it on exhaust shoes. Doesn't LeBay, doesn't George LeBay tell, say he ran the hose from the Yeah, that's what I meant. He put the hose in. He did, yeah. you know, it was, it was a completely. So that is just horrifying. And then the idea that the car has been sitting there for how long waiting well, you know, for I a new. I wonder if, you know, this is going to be a completely weird tangent that I just kind of thought of. Do you remember the Dario Argento Masters of Horror, Jennifer, mm-hmm. which was based on a short comic from Creepy Comics that was drawn by Barry, uh, that Argento? Bernie Wrightson? Yeah, Argento directed the version of... With Stephen Weber? Jen- Jennifer. I Stephen thought he directed Weber. it. No, okay. Stephen Weber wrote, wrote it. Oh, okay. And Dario Argento directed it. But the idea of that was like there was this monstrous girl who... A man finds and becomes obsessed with. Yeah, and then and then he and it ends up being like cyclical. Like he, that person goes out and says like, I can't take it anymore. You've ruined my life. I'm going to kill her. Yeah, and then someone and then somebody saves the her. hunter saves her, and then he and then becomes it, stuck with her. You and know, then it's I a, wonder if it was like that. Roland LeBay like couldn't do it anymore. And then that's what how he decided to, <laughs> yeah, to, to like get maybe it out. like. He was, you know, maybe it reminds me of the um, also the 2013 movie Mama, where they find oh, the, yeah. the ghost in the woods. Mama, yeah. <laughs> ooh, not that movie. <laughs> Any way to win blows? No, the movie about the ghost that then it comes home and it's trying to take care of the kid. Yeah, yeah. And it's so it's like one of those specters or entities that is trying to, like I said, like a banshee or a mermaid or sure. something or a siren singing to you. You know, so uh, moving on. Yeah, he picks up the car. The car is a Plymouth 1958 Fury. Amazing Chrysler. It's a Mopar. Mopar means moto uh, motor parts. Uh, All the different. There's a story here with the car that ends up involving us, which I don't think you know about because I didn't know about until we did the I did the dumb research. (laughs) But so tell me all about it. I'm going to tell you. So sit down, kids. Open your books. The three seventy two. So uh, between 1955 and uh, and uh, 1956, um, Plymouth through Chrysler interview the uh, introduced the Plymouth uh, Belvedere, and in '58 they introduce a uh, a sport and trim model, which is the uh, two door Fury. Now in this movie. Uh, this is actually there are other they use two different models in it. they use a Fury they use the Savo- a Savoy and they use a Belvedere mm-hmm. the Fury like I said before only came in uh, buckskin beige and it like an uh, anodized gold kind of trim but they use silver trim in, the, in this so uh, the last Plymouth sadly to roll off the line was 2001 because Plymouth kind of went up and Chrysler now became the uh, is now the whole thing uh, what's interesting is that that the the fins at the time, the biggest fins in the say for a Cadillac is fifty nine of the biggest fins, so you have uh, fins are big here, but then the car ends up going forward. They lose the fins like in the early sixties, and this car becomes something in the sixties and seventies, which is highly favored by police. A Fury. It's funny that Dean Stanton in the movie is driving a seventy seven Fury, the same car, mm-hmm. because that's the, that's a cop model. Dodge had the Monaco's. Yeah, uh, Plymouth had. Uh, Furies. So uh, in the late 70s, they end up having um, a Super Fury is a, is a, a kind of car, a model of this kind of car. And they in all the Mopars, Mopar being like all the, the people in the Dodge, Chrysler, Imperial family, they would all share similar body types. Yeah. So 
in the 80s, they came out with a car, a version of this, and they had the Fifth Avenue. And the Fifth Avenue came out in 87, mm-hmm. and the Fifth Avenue came out to 89, and that was the, my first car. Mm-hmm. I had a Chrysler Fifth Avenue that you drove in when we, when we first met in college, yeah, yeah. which was also a very popular police cruiser. Uh, the Grand Fury was. It was a, there was a diplomat, the Grand Fury. It was the body. But my Chrysler Fifth Avenue was a descendant of Christine. Was, was a descendant of Christine. <laughs> now, if you remember in my car, yeah. the dash lights were green. Uh-huh. They had that really haunting 40s kind of green look, which is the same green that her, her, her thing is, too. Yeah. Um, in the book... They talk about Christine having a hydromatic um, systematic, yeah, <laughs> systematic it's, grease lightning. It's a it's a hydromatic shift, but the uh, Fury actually had a torque flight shift, which means the it was a push button shift that's on the dash, yeah, as opposed to the tree, which meaning the uh, the the driver uh, driver's steering wheel column is where you have the shift. Mm-hmm. So in the, in so the book is wrong, having it being a hydromatic, because that's a GM product. Chrysler had the uh, torque flight. Mm-hmm. And also another thing with these cars is the Furies had the door locks on the door handle. But in the movie, if you look, the door locks are on the side by the window, which is where a Savoy or the Belvedere had those. Because the mm-hmm. Belvedere basically was like a four-door, like a station wagon. And then they made it into a coupe. So in the book, they say Christine is a four-door Fury, but they didn't come out with four door a four door Fury until fifty nine. But in, in the book also, if you had the original it book, sounds in the dust, like, it sounds like this is like the end of my cousin Vinny. Yeah, you know, it's all kind of this is you know, but he didn't have it. He didn't have it, so you got to remember that somebody's fucking up. So um, in the in, if you had the original book on the back dust cover, you see King sitting on the back of a, a Plymouth, but it's the wrong car. He's like on a fifty seven. Yeah, yeah, you know, so it's not even the right car. Uh, so it's funny that, you know, they have this thing come out and like that. And so they, they completely uh, customed it with silver, with the red. And at the time, there was a huge affinity for these cars. There was only like, I think, like 5,000 Furies made sure. coming off the assembly line. Yeah. So when Carpenter went to try to find, like, I think he tried to put in ads in, in Southern California for this car. They had to end up get like Belvedere's and Savoy's to compensate and then make them look like to customize them. So when... Collectors saw this movie. They were enraged that they were destroying. They destroyed like twenty eight cars in this movie. Yeah, yeah, you know. So people were like up in arms, but because of the movie, it did breathe a light into the fury. And then now, I think because of this movie, certainly you have all these collectors who, you know, uh, look at this car as like this, like you know, this this thing to a certain point where there's like two car shows that every year give out an award for the best looking, yeah, yeah. copy of Christine. You know, sure. I think there's like only two you know surviving i went to see last year i went to see george thoroughgood there was a double bill of job brian setzer and george thoroughgood live and i'd seen george thoroughgood before in like small club setting and so like to see him in the at the beacon theater was not something i you know that wasn't what i I was there to see brian setzer yeah i like george thoroughgood just fine but i'd seen george thoroughgood in better venues for his band than that but parked outside was Christine. <laughs> really? With yeah. the black, like, tint-out windows yeah, and stuff like that? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I, got a, I think I have a picture on my phone. I, I might, if I still have it, yes. maybe we'll post you it. You post it as one of the uh, extras in it. So it's just very funny that the, the Fury ends up having this whole life of its own and then becoming, like, a cop car. And, you know, I'm sure motorheads know that Dean Stanton's driving, Harry Dean Stanton's yeah. driving a modern 78 Fury in it, yeah. you know, and that was a undercover or as well as a RMP and a radio black and white car. Sure. You know, of the day, Fury, Super Furies, uh, Monaco's, like I said, all those kind of models you know, into the 80s. Yeah. And, you know, we just recently lost Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. And, um, 
you know, he's got a little bit of a thankless part in this movie. I mean, really, like, you could cut Junkins out of this movie. Yeah, completely. He doesn't really do anything other than, I guess, fulfill, like, the audience's probably need to think that there's some kind of police involvement. Yeah, and and it it ratchets up the tension on Arnie in the audience realizing that the, that the, yeah that they're that the police are kind of on to him asking about like you know I heard your uh, car was pretty wrecked I can't see any b- holes in the body here you know where he's like saying that kind of thing you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. and all that kind of stuff or like you know or him getting really pissy with him and you know and then and there's a lot of deleted scenes that you can see on like the blue which we'll we'll, we'll we'll put into the extras on uh, this and other stuff about but 20 I would, scenes uh, but I would say other than Robert's Blossom you know talking about him like practically stealing the show the other person that really steals the show which we brought up is Robert Prosky. We brought up Robert Prosky two weeks, three weeks ago because we were talking about maybe in the Jason Voorhees, Jason Lives cast, we were talking about uh, Gremlins 2. And I said, I think Christopher Lee plays the creature feature guy. And you go, no, I think that's the guy who plays Darnell. Oh, yeah. And, and then, you, then we got into the story about your friend who I met recently who we were going to be a creature feature. <laughs> yeah, that was right. that story. But Robert Prosky <laughs> is a guy who, like Gremlins 2, I know him from Hoffa. He's in Thief. He's Last in Action Mrs. Hero, right? Yeah, he's in Mrs. Doubtfire, Last Action Hero. Great, great uh, character actor. In, in this movie, he especially is. Uh, he's got a great role that he can really sink his teeth into. And he's very much like, what's his face, M. Emmett Walsh. He's got that, like, yeah. gritty kind of, like, he's wearing, like... I love like, that he'd like... Like Robert's Blas, like George LeVay, he's kind of LeVay, he's, he's all dirty and yeah. crusty. He's always had a cigar in his mouth, yeah. he's swearing all the time. But uh, playing Will Darnell, who owns like the junkyard and the garage that uh, Arnie ends up taking Christine and rebuilding Christine in, and he's so great. Um, you know, from the very beginning when he's like, you know... And I used to know a guy that owned a car like that, killed himself in it or whatever. And then no smoking in this place. He's got a cigar in his mouth. <laughs> and, and, and you know, Dennis is being a bit of a jerk. Being like, well, those guys are smoking. But uh, he's like, did you, you know, how could you let him buy a car like buy this thing or something? And Dennis is like, I tried to talk it out. He's like, you should have tried harder. <laughs> <laughs> and even he was saying at the time, he's like, can I have a couple more lines or scene to. Uh, um, proxy is saying this, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and so they gave Carpenter gave him an, an extra scene. It's the scene where he's talking to the friend in front of Arnie, mm-hmm. and I guess that's verbatim the scene from the book where he's like, you know, if you do some lube jobs, and almost like he has a heart. Yeah, yeah. Well, he he's like, turns you know, he was like, you know, these, they're admiring my, his work. Yeah, he's like, you're right. You can't be doing this for free. Raid right in my junkyard. And he's like, and I love, but I love that scene. You know, it's funny that that was kind of added because I love that scene because it shows. That Darnell kind of likes Arnie. Yeah, in his own he's like, well, you crusty know, way. You know, if you, maybe you do some, you do a few things, you run some errands, you do some lubes, you put some uh, toilet paper rolls on the little spools, and then I'll let you do it. And then Arnie's like, yeah, I'll have to think about it. He's like, well, I'll think about it too long. long. Your ass, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like my father's reaction. Like, you fucking asshole. Uh, in the book, I also think that Darnell... He's, he's drugging. He's drugging. He's got like a shady business. Yeah, he's running drugs in, in I don't know if it's unbeknownst or whatever that's what um he has arnie doing with his car and then arnie gets picked up for smuggling drugs in in his in the in darnell's caddy in the trunk or something like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. uh before we leave the car the last thing they were saying since the fury and christine has a push button uh uh transmission it was really hard they say for the stuntmen 
Yeah. Because it, it, she would lose, you know, you, you're yeah, pushing yeah. so hard, you know, you, you have to make sure it's in gear. If it's not in gear, so that a lot of times they couldn't get a lot of the, the sure. action for it to go in very quickly. Well, I mean, there was a reason why the push button thing didn't last very long. Yeah, they went to the it's tree. because it didn't work very yeah, well. Yeah, you know. But I mean, <laughs> now 20 the torque years, flight, though, went And then from, now, 20 years later, it was... Well, Chrysler and Plymouth had that torque flight from, like, the 30s on to, like, the 80s. But I, that's, see... As you know, growing up, we were a Chrysler Plymouth family, and my dad knew uh, Ed Glazier from Hamden, the dealership. He used to get all the new models, much like uh, you know yeah. you hear here. So, like, we had a new uh, Chrysler or Plymouth minivan, Voyager, uh, Fifth Avenue, New Yorker every year, and they all had uh, their their transmission gear shifts on the tree. So I don't know where this the torque flight, which was exclusive to Plymouth on the on the dashboard, that must have went out. I don't know. I'm not that far of a motorhead to know yeah. when that went out. But uh, right off the beginning, it's interesting that it's, it's a special model and it's specially ordered and, you know, this thing's evil to begin with. Yeah. Um, as the movie develops, we start seeing Arnie start taking on... It's funny that you have Robert Robert's Blossom say shitter. Yeah, yeah. And then... Ar- he, Arnie no shit ever came between. <laughs> yeah, and Arnie isn't privy to the conversation because no. Arnie's in the car. No. But then, like, two scenes later... I think the first time he says that to her, he says that to her when she, when she, he discovers they trashed the car, doesn't he say "Get away from me, you shitter" to, to, to the yeah. girl? And, he and I'm like, that, he says it again, and then he starts saying and he it. He says it to Dennis too. Yeah, he He's says like, it no shit ever came between me and Christine, and that's when Death they're driving, the right? Of the world. Yeah, so it's yeah. like so he's for me he's starting to do like Robert uh, Roberts Blossom's mannerisms. He's starting to go back in time where he's starting to wear his hair like a greaser. He's wearing the outfits of the fifties. He says to him. Uh, shitter, as well as he says what Robert Ro- Roberts Blossom says to the other guy too. That except for pussy, yeah, yeah. And he says that line too. He's like, you know, well, apparently that line's in the book like a million. Times. Except maybe for pussy, you know, he says that. You know, it, it. So it's it's interesting that he, in a way, even though they got away from the idea of of the car being possessed by the old owner, the yeah. brother, Arnie, in a way, still is becoming that. Yeah, well, yeah, it is. It's you know? interesting, you know. It's a- and I didn't pick up on that until the our viewing here, where you're starting to see, oh yeah, he's doing he's doing that weird thing with his j- chin that Roberts Blossom's doing, which I would only lead you to believe that either Robert Blossom Roberts Blossoms is the character, or that it's a family trait, like his yeah, brother did, yeah. you know, or just all weird little subtleties. That well, like, you, you know, know, here's the th- there's a couple of things going on, you know, and it's more described it's more explained i think in the deleted scenes like the scene that we were just talking about with darnell and the other guy and yeah. they're admiring his work and the guy's like you know how'd you get find a half a grill you know like i didn't even know you could get them like that and yeah like, well i found it you know it's implying that arnie's working on her but christine is rejuvenating herself which we see her do later yeah. in the movie show me but uh so but we also see in the movie that her speedometer is going backwards. Yeah, that's amazing. From the from the first time you see her, so she's, she's going, like feeding off of Arnie. Yeah, you know, like he's they're feeding off of each other. Like they're 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 making each other become, symbiotic become beautiful. You know, yeah. and uh, and you know we were talking about earlier. I was talking about how you know okay, a haunted car maybe not scary in the traditional sense, but what she's doing to Arnie is is frightening and it goes back to a couple of carpenter tropes i mean if you look at the thing um and like one of my one of the scariest things in in the mouth of madness for me is when uh after 
he's lost track of Styles. Sam Neill's lost track of the girl Styles. Then she comes like falling into the into the hotel room into his arms. She's like, Trent, I'm losing me. Yeah. <laughs> like the idea of like she like Arnie's losing himself. Like I think even Lee or Dennis is like that's like she's not Arnie anymore. You know, there's. Uh, and the mother's like, but is he? But he, Arnie's not really realizing that, is he? No, no. I mean, but or nor is he caring. No, uh, you know. But I think that, like, it's it's a kind of an established carpenter th- trope a little bit. Um, this idea of losing oneself, and that's kind of what's happening to Arnie. And even though Arnie's like a willing participant, or, or just doesn't even realize it's happening, it's something that I find endlessly fascinating about this movie and there are those little things like you're saying the facial expressions the language where you start to realize and you probably don't even realize it too much on a first viewing that sure you notice the car the clothes are reminiscent it you know he's wearing like 50s style clothes but clothes that you could find in the late 70s you know like so it's not like completely outrageous you know he's not like totally greased up yeah but with like error correct clothes but he's he's got more of like he's wearing like the red jacket with his hair pushed back he's got the black vest on a black shirt which was popular for like 50s westerns yeah black on black which was like an inside joke he's becoming more the era of the car but at the same time you're right it's like even though the LeBay character previous owner of the car is not haunting him in this, like in the book and making and turning him into him so directly. It is happening in this. Yeah. It's just, it's a lot more subtle. Uh, and this idea that Arnie is really getting lost. Like it's changing. There's also a lot of stuff in the deleted scenes. I don't want to keep on harping on the deleted scenes, but there's stuff in no, the, but dele- there's a lot in the deleted scenes. Yeah, that explains a lot. There's like- stuff like, and, and I understand why a lot of it got cut out because it's almost too like when, much. when he tells off the parents and they leave the house and they're kind of like pushing the car to get started and then the, the but, but, bumper falls apart in the smoke. But it's, it's but in this instance, I'm talking about like you know uh, Dennis has him sign his cast twice and his signature is different the second time. Like he's completely becoming somebody. Like even his signature is different. I understand. Like I get why that's cut out. It's like a little too much. Yeah. But this idea of see, I like that all that stuff. But yeah, you're right. I mean. It's it's sad that they did end up having to 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 change all that. Uh, let's see. Also from the original book too, um, they, Stephen King supposedly got Arnie from Arnie Cunningham, which was like you know uh, Arnold Arnie Cunningham from Happy Days. That's where he got Arnie from. Arnold and then Richie Cunningham. Yeah, combine the Happy Days and thing. There you go. You get that there too. And then uh, it's in, also a lot of the cars in the movie become like either like Mopars, the motor parts, Chrysler, because in the book. Uh, what's his friend's name? Uh, I, I keep forgetting. Arnie's friend. Dennis. Dennis drives in the book of Duster, but in this movie, he's got a Dodge Charger, you know, of the era. Uh, the, the other thing I like about this is the idea of Christine talking through the songs. <laughs> yeah, I, I it's, think, you know, it's not every instance with the song. Sometimes the song is just maybe used for a little irony or a little punctuation. Like, uh, but at the same time, there are a lot of instances where the, the Carpenter's choices of rock and roll songs for the movie do, in a lot of instances, act like Christine's voice. Yeah, you know, keep Much on knocking, like but you can't come in. Yeah, I know, which is, which is kind of like silly, but that's why it's like it gets a little silly, but here I think it's very effective. Where you have, uh, you know, they're using Little Richard. You keep on knocking, but you can't come in. You use Dion. I wonder, Dion and the Belmonts. I wonder why. Uh, yeah. You know. Um, well, there's the, 
you know, when they're killing Christine, that's rock and roll well, is here to stay. Yeah. You know, and well, one of the big things in this is another wormhole that I'll stop completely to cast down to talk about is the Johnny Ace song, Pledging My Love. Now, Johnny Ace is a, I'm a huge fan of, which I think we, we've talked about a couple times, where he was a guy who was off the Beale Street Memphis guys. He was a contemporary of B.B. King and Bobby Bland. And the reason why I said at the beginning of the cast, a lot of this stuff comes around for us is because you and I always say that way down the alley, which yeah, is a direct yeah. reference to B.B. King and Bobby Bland. So there's this guy, Johnny Ace, at the time. He came out. He was on the scene with those guys. He joined the B.B. King band. B.B. King went off to L.A., to, to get famous. Bobby Bland went into the army. So he took over the BB King band and he called, he ended up calling the band, the uh, Beale Streeters. And he started taking over the radio show on uh, w, uh, WDIA in, in Memphis. He starts performing. And then in the next two years, he has eight consecutive hits in a row. This guy, Johnny Ace. And uh, he starts touring with M Big Mama Thornton, who people will know. She originated the song Hound Dog that Elvis went on and made famous, and she does a lot of other great songs, Ball and Chain, mm -hmm. that, uh, what's her face, Janis Joplin covers very famously at the Monterey Pop Festival. So he, in 1954, while he was on tour for a year, you know, steadily, he used to start carrying a 32 around with him. And it was one of these things when they were on the Chick Chicklin circuit, he'd hang out the window and he'd shoot the road signs with the, 20, with the 22 or 32, the, the, the speculation of what kind of a revolver it was. So Christmas uh, Day, 1954, they're in Houston, Texas at some Houston auditorium in between uh, concerts and they're bored. So Johnny Ace supposedly starts playing Russian roulette and he says, hey guys, look, this gun ain't loaded. He puts it up to his brain and blows his brains out. Yeah, yeah. And then Big Mama, Big Mama Thornton comes out of the uh, the dressing room like, oh my God, he, you know, uh, Johnny Ace killed himself. There's this big uproar. They have to go out and tell the audience it's outside. Johnny Ace killed himself. And there's this huge uh, upset. Next, posthumously, in like January of 1955, they release P Pledging My Love, which is this forever, my darling, my yeah, love yeah. will be true. And it sells like hot case much like a, t a couple of years before when Hank Williams Sr. died, the songs that came up posthumously sold like hotcakes, which is really sad. Yeah. So there's this woman at the time, Veretta Dillon, Dillard, she writes in 55 this song called Johnny Has Gone. And that's the first song of these teen tragedies that we know like Leader of the Pack or um, what's that song, Pearl Jam, Last Kiss. Where, where can my baby be? You know, all these 50s yeah, yeah. teen tragedies like around Dead Man's Curve might be, you know, like a, <laughs> yeah, be yeah. a, a, um, a Beach Boys song. But I find it so tragic that this guy only recorded, like, say, like 19 songs. Yeah. Blew his brains out. And it's so haunting, especially all his, that, that sound he has yeah, in yeah. this song, Pledge of My Love. So when, at the beginning, I think it's the first time you hear the song is when uh, after the scene where Darnell and his friend give him some shit, he gets in his car and he's like so fed up and he turns the car on and it's her saying, you know, forever, yeah, I'm yeah. pledging my love and he's holding yeah, on to her. And it's so, and I wonder, it's that's the reason I just went through the whole um, biography of him is because it's such a tragedy of what happened to him. It's so haunting that it's almost completely apropos yeah, yeah. to have this tragic kind of thing. And then at the end of this movie, right, right before they start, when he comes, when, when uh, Arnie's killed, the song comes back on again when he's trying to go after the girl, and then they start running him over, 
and then that you know the rock and roll is here to stay comes on and all that kind of thing so it's yeah. very well, what plays when Darnie dies there's a song there that might be pledge my love then yeah yeah because pledge my love pledging my love comes up twice and the first time yeah. when after darnell there's and then the part where arnie's kind of dying and he touches christine's vag yeah <laughs> the v the v the upside <laughs> yeah and then the vag the v vag on the hood and uh, i just found that so um so funny that like yeah. you know, well that, it's interesting the not way funny but ironic that yeah, that's, yeah. All this. well the way he he uses music is interesting because you know christine and arnie is all 50s music yeah you know dennis's music is like contemporary covers of 50s music yeah to the point where they had the when they do the transition from the 50s yeah, where they find like the buddy dead body holly. buddy holly to sorry to the to the uh yeah, not so fade the, away. Yeah, and, and that's great. Like a seventies version, and then one of my favorite shots in the whole movie, and it's such like a Carpenter thing, and it's just like to put a stamp on like the way Carpenter is. You know, like nobody else would have done this shot. It's when Dennis drops Arnie off, and Arnie gives the speech about like what is it about that car? And Arnie's like, you got to find another charity besides me and Christine. He's like, what is it? What is it about that car? And he's like, it's the first time I ever found something that was uglier than me. Yeah, and I can fix her up. And he's like, you're not ugly. And then the mom comes out and he's like, you better, you know, you better bust out of here. You don't want to be around for this. And then Arnie gets out and then Dennis drives away. And there's like four seconds of the car, of the camera on the hood of the car facing Dennis driving away yeah. to Bonnie Raitt cover of uh, Runaway. Yeah. And then it fades out. Yeah. It's like, you know... Any other director would have ended it when Artie gets out of the car or something, but Carpenter... He's hung on to it. He hungs, hangs on to it. We have a moment with Dennis, which I wonder if it's a little bit of an homage to, like, that the book, so much of the book is from Dennis's point of view. Like, we have this little moment with Dennis. Yeah. And it's really just, like, four or five seconds. Just enough to hear... Uh, a great cover of Runaway yeah. by Bonnie Raitt. But we just see him drive silently... And then Carpenter fade. <laughs> well, you know the, 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 the that shot in particular he uses, which I absolutely love, and it's almost like a Carpenter shot. But it's harkens back to the old days where he, you know he's shooting on that great stock and the shot composition of him mounting the camera on the hood in a two shot. Yeah. And for me, it's very much there's a couple scenes in the original Dirty Harry that play out that way where they're just driving around San Francisco and they're getting calls on the radio and Eastwood's answering and you just play the you play the scene out in a two shot. And I find that like. It's so awesome looking. To me, it's very Carpenter, but then if you go beyond that, it's very of the day because nowadays sure. we're used to like shaky cams. Well, and there's stuff, a lot of that in you know. Assault and Priest. Yeah, and I love that kind of. Yeah, at the beginning with the guys. Yeah, dun 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 dun, you know, with the car, you know. And I love just having mountain, you know, there's no shakiness at all in the camera because it's mounted on the hood or whatever, and it's just the scene that's going to play out beautifully. And that it's just, uh, you know, the shot composition is gorgeous on the stock, and, you know, you have the background, and it's very much, you could tell they're really driving. They're not like, you know, uh, a rear screen projection or something like that. It's just, it's it's reassuring to see that as opposed to today yeah. where maybe it'd be shaky, it'd be in the car, it'd be you know, maybe um, panning from Heath Burton, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and the other aspect of the music in terms of song, but not, not the score, we had, you know, Arnie's 50s rock and roll, Dennis's kind of covers, contemporary covers of 50s rock and roll, and then the bullies are just contemporary rock and roll, like Beast of Burden, yeah. Rolling Stone, Yeah, whatever they're listening stuff to. Stuff like that. You know, they're definitely, they're firmly planted in, in today yeah. of the movie. Arnie's, he's off in the 50s, and kind of Dennis is in the middle ground. Dennis is kind of pulling both ways. He's, he's, he's 
Arnie's like really only anchor in contemporary the contemporary it's, it's world. It's weird because the um, I've said this before, probably this year on the cast, where like I have a huge affinity for that era of music because I think growing up, like my exposure to uh, to the Penguins and Earth Angel because of Back to the Future, and then the next year or the year after, I saw that episode of The Magician that uses the Penguins Earth Angel, and then this movie with with my pledging my love, and so like as lo- as much as I love the contemporary stuff, like I love old. Sinatra big band and stuff. I love this era of doo-wop and Motown and yeah. and uh, rockabilly Elvis stuff like that. And so it's like it's so cool that the, it's like that's it's almost like that's the only channel or, or, or things the the record or the the radio in the car get. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, and I it, it's escaped me, but that that sounds like something else that I can't think of right now. If I can think of it, I would probably. But like where it's that the radio only gets the channel from yeah. 40 years ago or something like that. And I find that really yeah. interesting. Well, here, we only get Spanish channels. Yeah, exactly. Those are the only channels that come in fucking strong. Yeah, on our TVs <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, so then now, if we transition, since we're on music to the score, it's interesting once you have that scene where Arnie steps back, he's like, show me. Yeah, And yeah. you have the car, yeah. yeah, and you have the Carpenter's Sting. score start. Yeah. And then you have the sax come in, and again, that's very, that lush sax, which to me harkens back again to the 50s, to like, uh, we're talking about that rolling sax in the song at the beginning of um, uh, Night of the Creeps, you know, yeah. that, that kind of a thing where it's almost well, like it's- an actual song. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I can't remember the, the title of it, but that was a song that's like- That we went out on in the, son- in the- in the you talking about the night of the creeps account? No, oh, this, I'm sorry. In Christine, because okay. that's very much like it's almost it kind like, of it does the carpenter sting, and then it kind of goes into this into like this song that's very not so beat driven, but very sexual. Yeah, it's like, like porn you would music. imagine like. It's like it's like well, like the way you would imagine, like a stripper in the fifties, yeah, or, or like a cabaret. Dance, you know? Yeah, she's taking yeah, her with, clothes with off. the tassels, you yeah. know, not quite. And it's slow motion. It's like almost like, or it's like you know. It's, and he says, "Show." I mean, it yeah. is. It's like, show me. Yeah, it's like um, what's that? The hard goodbye, the episode of Sin City with the. the I think you have a sax in that. Yeah, it's yeah. very the sultriness of her putting herself back together. Yeah. You know, and it, you have very much like it's, yeah, it's very much like not so much romantic, but it's like sex. Yeah, yeah. Sexy. Well, he's like, you show know. me your body. You know, yeah. obviously she's beat up at that point, but this idea of like, you know, show me what you got. So you for know? us, we, we can assume that she can do this the entire time or she needs the power of someone giving her attention to. This is pure speculation. Well, that, you know, that's a good point. I mean, you talk about it, it's not in the movie. It's in the book of 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 LeBay putting his daughter in the car. She's dying. To give it almost like a sacrifice. You know, where he's, she comes out after, first of all, the imagery of uh, a car on fire. Oh my God, yeah. Flying down the street. Yeah. Um, that whole scene but, where he where she goes after him and then like, like uh, I get a hard on for car movies where like you see when they stop at the gas station and he, they're waiting for her to come, and, and that stunt driver takes the fucking Fuhrer around the corner, and he's—I mean, I'm getting my my the hair on my arms are standing up. I'm about to cry, yeah, like you know, he almost real. loses it. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the ass almost goes out, and it's just like that reckless, like you know, it's so into the moment, and just plows right into yeah. his freaking Camaro he's got there. But uh, you know, you know, she she comes, she rolls back into Darnell's, yeah, by herself, yeah. Because there is this question of the dark windows of like, is Arnie driving? Well, see, that's let's let's hold off on that, but keep going. But, the, what you're saying. but she comes in and she's all burn up. Yeah, 
and clearly, <laughs> yeah, love it. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, clearly she puts herself back together because when they show up the next yeah, day, she's, she's fine. fine. But you know, I never thought about it, and you know, it wasn't until you brought up the aspect of the book. It's like I wonder if she needs Darnell to die in the car for her to. Oh yeah, the idea of she's she's looking better. That's Cause, interesting. Because Darnell sits in her. I don't know why he would get into I don't know. Like yeah, a, she's a like, hot car. <laughs> but maybe <laughs> he there's can't some, even open the door. Yeah, maybe so there's hot, a reason yeah. for him to get into it that he's like, it's almost like an allure. There's, this is not a, uh, a, a an avenue I want to explore too much because this is a plot of something I've written. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I like the idea of, yeah, that the... Um, but that, then she didn't kill anybody when Arnie said, show me. So, I mean, it's all... Yeah, but he was building her. It's all speculative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she's completely trashed. Yeah, yeah. When he when he burns her alive, so that's the that. So since we're here, we'll talk, we can go over the bridge on that. When I was little, I remember like watching this with my dad, and that was the big thing. Was for me, and I feel like audiences back then was it, it was a huge. It was it was a given that it was the car by itself with the when, when every time you see. The, the blacked out window, she's autonomous. She's a sentient being. She's going yeah. on her own. And then the reveal at the end of the movie that he's in the car. Yeah. I didn't remember the shot of him in the car. Like the blue light. And yeah, like the I only, under his yeah, I only remembered him coming through the windshield. Mm-hmm. And then for me, like for me, my friends or my that father. That almost would have been a better reveal. That's how I remember yeah, it. Yeah, to so not I saw, show him in the car. But then when she crashes, see Arnie yeah, fall out. So the, I always and thought. Like, Wait, what? He's yeah, in <laughs> So that's what I always thought the, all these years was that was a big reveal. And the, yeah. the twist was, oh, my God, has he been in the car the entire time? Yeah. We just said, like you said, that she's, he's, he's clearly, I guess, not in the car when Darnell gets over there. But he could have just got out and hid. But. Yeah, but I, it's a long. Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's a long a, shot. It's a stretch. But yeah. I, but I, but it, it to me it was always the question was that led you to think was she, was he in the car the entire time they she was going after the bullies yeah and you know it was like come on for the ride I'm going to show you what I can do by that or this time around was it only at the end like for, for when I was little I always thought that. It was a reveal that oh no, it's her by herself. But at the end, when he comes, she's no, right. he's there. The yeah, he's so was he there, there the whole time. time? But then when I watched it this time around, I kind of felt that maybe he was in the car the whole time. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't I even mean, know if I'm forming a question. It is. A, I mean, it is a little bit of. It is a little bit of an unanswered question, but because I do, think you he do, hates them so much, he would be like, "Sure, let's go get them." But during the. But during the the Darnell's the Darnell death, it proves that she's it's not. It's kind of like it's would it's be a big stretch to think that Arnie drove her back, got out of the car, left in the all time without Darnell seeing. Because you seeing would think because he knows. Let's let's talk complete complete speculation. Arnie must from the outset know something's going on. He knows that she's alive. He knows she can fix herself. He's talking to her or whatever. Yeah. He is not surprised at all when Harry Dean Stanton show, says these guys have been murdered. He's like, good, fuck them. Yeah, you yeah. know? So he, I would think he knew already. You know, that's why he's a suspect. You know, yeah. he's not telling anybody stuff. He's being, you know. And, you know, is he doing all that body work like Dean, Harry Dean Stanton said in a night? You know, the car's completely totaled. Yeah. You know, so he must know from the outset that she's fixing herself or yeah. that... You know, we're, I think we're in, overanalyzing this a little too much, but it's like it's a, these are the questions where it's like you know what you know at what point is he uh, egging her on to do this? Like he's enjoying it, you know? Yeah, 
you know but at the same time he's also he it, it he doesn't get the girl until he gets the image from christine and christine like you said embodies him to change his image become uh have confidence have an ego have a, a takes his glasses off has a new look and that gets what's her face and yeah, that and yeah. then it's a big reveal which i love the footballs on the scene yeah i mean yeah. dennis takes such a fucking hit i mean it's so <laughs> real that stuntman must have died yeah, yeah you know but that's such a great scene there that whole sequence of oh my god he's how did he he's bringing her here no one knew that's such a reveal yeah so he obviously still has girls on the mind to find her unless she asked him out i don't remember no, I mean we, you know, we only we don't see. We so don't, he's not completely we know, to Christine yet. We know that Dennis asks her out. She says, "I can't." Yeah, because he's like, "Why?" And he's like, "Because I have a date, and yeah. that date is Arnie." Yeah, um, but we don't know if we assume that he asked her out just because of convention. So he's like not normal. So yeah, he's not taking. It's like, like a, he's not a mechophile. He's not taking the car with him. He's not marrying. They're having sex with the cars. But it's like he he's still in, at that point into women, into girls. To the point where you know they go to the drive-in and he's at the drive-in and we have the the scene where then yeah. she tries. The, Christine's getting jealous. <clears throat> I mean, I like how Carpenter's cutting back to the radio. Yeah, yeah. Like you're waiting for the radio to pop on, but the radio's almost her like looking at him. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it's her only form of well, communication. That, well, that's part of it. You know, that's you know? part of that. What I was saying that the way that Carpenter we buy Christine as an actual character, a being in this movie because of the way Carpenter treats it. And how he shoots and it. And how he shoots it yeah. and everything. The language of cinema that he uses yeah, conveys the frame, to the us frame composition that she like, has yeah. a personality. Yeah. And that, you know, that's it's it's a it's a thing that you don't really think about when you watch it because you shouldn't. You should be engrossed in the story. But when you go back and you and you look at it from the outset, uh, you know, it's a pretty big feat to have us buy that uh, as an audience. Yeah. You know, that takes a lot of, that takes some, like kind of someone who has a pretty, you know, masterful hand in cinematic language. I would say the same thing, uh, not that we're going to go off on the tangent, but I would say that's one of the reasons why I like Monkey Shine so much, the George Romero movie. Like, I think that's one of George Romero's most well-directed movies because he manages to take this monkey and often a puppet not even a real yeah. monkey and make it a very serious real character in that movie it's a you know it, ta it takes a, a special kind of uh, storyteller i think to be able to pull that off uh, uh, believably yeah in a, especially in a movie that's so you know you have to suspend disbelief so much yeah to, to get into it anyway um but yeah, all that stuff, the way he, you know, we all the stuff. Yeah, you develop. And Arnie and, and Keith Gordon. Yeah. Um, he's bringing a lot to the Yeah, role. he's bringing a lot to it. You know, he even talks about when he played it, it would he would make notes in his script when it's like he's talking, to, he's looking at the car, he's touching the car. He's like, it's okay, like it's a girl. Like, what part of the girl am I touching yeah. when I touched Christine here? You know, really doing like getting into like some method stuff yeah. to but really. But it works because it, then you have this. Then dichotomy of this love triangle between Arnie, the car, and uh, the other girl. Yeah. And she starts to get jealous, and she tries to kill it. And then there's that time, I remember that when I was really little, like, all the lights go on. And yeah, he's not almost like, he's not almost trying to help, or he is. And then when the guy, in the book, it's a hitchhiker, but when the other dude pulls her out, give it a high mech, he's like, get out, get your hands off, yeah. you know? And she, of course, rightfully well, so. Well, that's another upset. great, I think, you know, that's... A 
the beginning like, would he have let her die in the car you the know? beginning scene when the hood comes down on the guy's hand and then that scene are the two most memorable scenes for me from when i was a kid yeah the ones that really stuck in my mind and it's partially and that and that that driving scene is totally carpenter in terms yeah. of like the reason why that's that's so memorable is the way he handles it not just like the creepy bright light but the fact that he shoots that from every angle he can like within the car yeah like they, to, they, they to, took the dash out like, yeah you can't to, get those shots without having yeah and like from above like yeah. she looks up right at the cat you know it's like and you're looking at he's like she's trapped it's like she's in her coffin yeah you know like he the claustrophobia of her trapped in that car Oh, when she's when she's when, when she's choking. choking. Oh, I thought when yeah. you meant when they're making out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, even that. But yeah. when she's choking, like this idea of like, you know, every angle is showing you that she's trapped inside this little box. Yeah. Uh, really, uh, the claustrophobia. The, yeah, just like made a real impact on me as yeah. a kid. I'm not on any kind of like conscious level, but just like that scene always stuck out. And when you watch it now, that's why. Yeah. Because he shoots it from all these angles and really kind of drives home this like feeling of helplessness that she has yeah and that was for me it was like the the beginning on the assembly line but then when the car became going after them and i remember that yeah. was terrifying for me like the bully moochie getting stuck and then her just pushing herself yeah through you know the, and then you said the small they used space. yeah they used a uh a bulldozer to push the car and it was rubber and what they did was they put like the uh the um uh what do you call that the the uh Oh my God! Uh, the fill the, the uh, with the steam. Ugh. Why am I having a mind fuck? Here? <laughs> uh, the steam. the radiator. radiator they yeah. put the radiator in the trunk so that it wouldn't explode and all that. You know, for that car. You know, and, and there's a guy who ended up who bought the car, who restored the car, who says like inside the car it was all you had. There was no interior. It was just a plastic uh, five point seat belt with like a, a racing car seat. They had a rollover bar and they had some wood struts to keep it positioned. That was it. And he. He bought the car, restored the car, and he found the license plate in the back trunk. You know, and, he, and now that's that's like one of the two surviving cars. Yeah. Because at the time, uh, they were going to junk it, and uh, the the studio didn't want to just sell it to anybody because of liability. So somebody bought it supposedly for parts, and then he took it home on a flatbed yeah. and then restored it. And apparently, Carpenter was offered a yeah. Christine at the end of the movie, but he didn't take it for some reason. Yeah, and they have none now because he came out with that video a month ago of 2017 of the, the video for the Christine song for his new yeah, album. Like the, new, the remake. Yeah, and he's driving around in it looking like the like some creeper. Yeah. <laughs> creeper! He's in there with the big Man hat and all black. that. Yeah, and he's, you know, and he's... I mean, and he's the guy at the end of Halloween 6. Yeah. Like, Halloween 6. Or, or he looks like freaking Poltergeist 2. The God is in his holy temple. Um, so... So yeah, so when he's when so you get the bullies in it. The bullies are terrifying. That guy's a real dick, and they start going after him. You feel like like a carpenter bully that or a king bully that they're not going to stop. So when he ends up getting, they get their comeuppance. The scene where he goes after him and he kills um at the gas station. That was a little longer scene. There's a little deleted trim stuff, like you said. Yeah, yeah. And the scene, yeah, once. He, the the car kills the two first two guys and then it comes out on fire. They poured rubbing cement all over the car, let that son of a bitch on fire, and went after it. That's just freaky. And then just that scene of him running down the road and it coming out after him. Uh, they said Carpenter. They used um, airport landing lights for the for the headlights. That's why they're so freaking bright. Yeah, yeah. Of her car and uh, the drivers. They said it was really hard because they painted the. They didn't just use tinted windows. They painted the windows black. Yeah. Except for like a little over the driver's seat where the uh, where it would be. Yeah. So they can look out. So you can look out. Yeah. So you don't you don't have 
you know full vision yeah you only have this and they had that be like tinted so it was very hard for them to see and then what they i were mean doing. In the, and then in the case when the car's on fire he's in a full like protective suit with a ventilator and everything yeah and the car's on fire and the, i mean the car is really on fire and it's it's uh, on a side note i remember uh, uh maybe i guess we have no concept of time anymore but a couple years ago they took a uh i think it's a a four a, a Malibu is it four who makes Malibu? But they took a modern Malibu and they took a Malibu from like the late fifties and they did a crash test with. It. I will have to put it as an extra in the cast where they crashed both of them. And I you always think of like, oh, you know, cars were so much more protective back then. You could take a tree down and the car wouldn't be dented. Yeah, yeah. But you don't realize for a, a, that may be the case, but. For a person inside a car, there's, you know, when seatbelts were optional, until, you know, Robert McNamara forced <laughs> yeah, people to no, put them yeah, in. Or no chest strap. Yeah, or, or you had, like, you didn't have a collapsible steering column. Like, uh, they, they do a test where they have the Malibu, the modern Malibu hit the 50s Malibu, and they hit it, like, driver side to driver side. So they're kind of, like, almost, like, clipping each other, but they yeah. hit them on, and they have the, the crash test dummies inside. And you see the crash test dummy in the old Chevy Malibu is destroyed. It's impaled by the steering column, all this horrific stuff where yeah, yeah. the person in the modern Malibu has the crash, the airbags go off and all that. It's fascinating. So like you think about this freaking car and you're going to get killed with this, this son of a bitch. Um, yeah. But I mean, the car has endeared itself to an entire generation of people where there's enthusiasts all over the world um, that, that have restored it. Not only, you know, it, to have a fury, to have it the original, the buckskin beige color with the... Um, the sandstone interior color of the, you know, now they're making it to be this fictional. It's like what ba Back to the Future did with the DeLorean. Yeah, you know, yeah. it, it, it solidified. The DeLorean was a cool car that could have gotten forgotten when DeLorean got messed up with that cocaine deal yeah. that ruined his career. But because Back to the Future had the DeLorean in it, must probably like uh, the GT uh, Fastback in Bullet, you know, that, that car is now, or the Charger from uh, Dukes of Hazard. You know what I mean? These cars are oh, so... Starskin Hutch. Uh, yeah, the, that's a... Uh, I can't think of that. I think that's also a, mu a Mustang. Um, maybe it's a Boss or um, I forget what kind of a, a car that is. Yeah. Or is it? Is that a is that a Gran Torino maybe? A Gran Torino, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, that kind of a... These cars are now so legendary, you know, because of these Trans Am for Smoking the Bandit. You know, so people not only get the car, but they'll get the smoking bit with the, with the eagle on the hood. Sure, or, you know yeah. that that year model. So, you know, it's pretty cool to have you know entire la lines of fans doing you know the, this kind of thing. I mean, the what if? And then we get quickly the what if game was that what they hired Brooke Shields. The studio wanted Brooke Shields and, and Scott, Scott Bayo, but Carpenter has contractually that he always gets to pick the cast and he wanted relatively unknowns yeah and they she was hot off of what blue lagoon maybe probably blue lagoon and, and he, he was, was good chachi. Off, uh, chachi yeah uh chachi and whatever it is joni and chachi, chachi. yeah and then and that would have been days. interesting because i bet you he would have had a different career you know maybe he would have still did charles in charge and but i, I think he would have been serious think kevin bacon also auditioned for it yeah but he turned it down for i think footloose yeah they say he turned it down who knows if he officially got offered i mean you know you don't know yeah this is all conjecture um, could have been in the running you know and then just took Footloose, even though he was never, like, officially... Who knows? Uh, uh, a couple of those... Uh, I love the line... Uh, you ever think that uh, part of being a parent is trying to kill your kid? Yeah, and that's kind of... It, that's very... Um, 
like that's some real meta shit right there. <laughs> yeah, but you it's know? also I think it's also playing into what I was saying, what we were saying with like Rebel Without a Cause, like that, like oh, the relationship, with, yeah, with plot. him and James yeah. and Jim Backus, and you know him. Yeah, I get like that. That you know, it's kind of the, that, like it's very, um, it's very, t- it's a very teenage point of view. But it's the also, frustration of the because you get to start from the beginning of the movie. Arnie is very much like the. You know, he's a nerdy kid who his family, he's talking at the beginning about Scrabble and he wanted to put, clit- what is it, clitoris? And she wouldn't let him do clitoris or, or, or is it? Oh, yeah. Or, what was it? It was, uh, or, it wasn't uh, clitoris. Uh, no, it's fellatio. Yeah. And she won't let him do fellatio. So, but then, you know, you could tell the mother runs the family where the dad won't even stand up to the mother, you know. But then as soon as this stuff starts going down very quickly, he, you know, he's telling her to screw off and then he throws the dad, you know, against the wall and it's like, shit gets serious right yeah, there, yeah. you know. Also, you know, Carpenter talks a lot about having the bulldozer yeah. come up on the back of Christine. He, to him, it's very much like she's being sodomized. Oh, really? By and the he's, she's still trying to go. And then yeah. in the movie, like, it's like it's like the ra- they rape her. They don't just kill her. Oh, but God, that's they, terrible. But they rape her. Uh, they all, they talk about that. It wasn't a bulldozer in the book. It was like a septic truck. It was, yeah. uh, and it was a pink truck, and they had a name for it. So at the ending, it was almost described as like. Uh, a fight girl girl fight and uh i I don't know if it's in a deleted scene from the movie but they talk about the reason why he knows dennis at the end of the movie knows how to drive a bulldozer is because they had summer jobs as construction workers that's where arnie had uh, got the money then to then buy christine that he was saving for college and that's how dennis then knows how to drive the bulldozer yeah and i don't think that's in any kind of deleted scene carpenter says he picked that bulldozer because he wanted something that was like so like industrial yeah they wanted him to use something with like regular wheels but he's like no i want the tracks <laughs> you know the no, track that, wheels. like i want it to be a monster like i want it to be yeah like so when you be kill christine with it it's like you know something that's very imposing and it's very much like a couple years earlier which we mentioned earlier in the cast there's this uh great tv movie called killdozer which i just watched a month ago which is really good about a freaking possessed bulldozer in uh on an african island with these uh kind of like corporate workers having to deal with it which is kind of a hint to what our cast is in a couple weeks uh now we're gonna get all these people like <laughs> what is it what are you doing but it's like it's a concept where you would think on the outset that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard of possessed yeah. bulldozer but it's really good so it's like this is like what's the only thing that could take the car out uh, on the outset would be a bulldozer, but you'd have to get the car down because the car can sure. you know get away from you and maneuver a lot better you know. And I like the once the car wrecks itself, it has almost like teeth in the grill. Yeah, you well, know, it becomes very jo- it becomes a shark. Yeah, kind of. it's very much like it, it has a face. And when I was little, that's another thing with me, which I don't know if everybody does, but from a very young age, since I was in the cars and trucks, I always used to see faces. Yeah. I don't see it that much anymore because to me they all kind of look the same but a lot of older cars 80s and before I always looked see like the headlights were eyes the grill was the mouth sure. and you know maybe like the 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 hood ornament is the nose so that's kind of in uh, here where you have the teeth being the grill you know it's yeah. it's very fascinating to me and the quick little behind the scenes stuff was you know the movie is not very gory that there's not a lot of real like terror well they couldn't stuff. get an R rating like they really saying. the studio really wanted a hard R which is funny and uh, to attract teenagers, yeah. you know, but uh, 
they couldn't get, they couldn't get the R rating. So what they did was they went back and they had the writer write a dialogue that had a bunch of you know cusses, cusses, you know, added a lot of bad words for the teenagers to say so that they could get the R rating was strictly for language. And I know I've had friends that don't care for this movie and it's because of the language and they blame it as being a very King thing, but it turns out that it was really just in an attempt, like the crude language really was really an attempt just to get the movie to have an R for, for to, to gain teen interest. Yeah. The, um, uh, what the hell was I going to say? You're talking about that, the, the, the uh, language with the R. Oh crap. I completely lost my train of thought. Oh, so they say when the car is, kind of a sentient being there's a green hue around it or or, or maybe because with the dash and they they say that that is also present of course in maximum overdrive with the green hue and that's a king thing but i didn't know if i ever picked up on any kind of green aside from the dashboard headlights and the in the, yeah, the yeah. interior kind of glow of that i didn't really see any of that i didn't um, notice it either now in the book excuse me it's late i know it's very late uh in the book how they end up killing the car is they wait for a weekend where arnie is going to visit a college with his mom they leave on the road and then dennis and the girl lure the car to an area they take the septic truck or whatever we said and they destroy the car and that's where they say in the book is the ghost of uh not roland but what's the brother's name george george comes comes out and he's yelling at them to stop and then when they're finally able to destroy the car it's dead. They re- they find out the next morning that well, George is the Roberts Blossom character. Oh, he so his ghost comes out. I don't know. I, I thought know. it was. I thought the, it's the ghost of Roland, the 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 guy who's possession possessing the car is Roland. Yeah. yeah, his ghost appears in the book and is telling them, yelling them to stop. Like yeah, Dennis yeah. sees the ghost. This you know the the polter guy, whatever it is. And then when they destroy the car, the next day they learn that Arnie and his mother were both killed on the highway in a car accident on their way back in. For, I don't know how Dennis is able to, d- d- to deduce this, but he learns that, I guess, once the car was destroyed, uh, the ghost of Arnold appears and tries to take possession of Arnie and, and take over him, but Arnie rebels somehow, and they lose control of the car, and that's why they both die. So the postscript of the book is, uh, the prologue is that they both go to college, Dennis and the girl who come together, uh, they go their separate ways as yeah. girls do, much like freaking Karate Kid. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he's now like a gym teacher at some high school or wherever he is. And he reads in the paper, there's one or two of the, there's one bully left in the group. And that bully is, was recently run down by a, a, a car fitting the description as Christine to lead you to believe that maybe Christine is still out there. And that's how yeah, the book yeah. ends. You know, it's very like, yeah. ooh, you know, that's There's kinda... deleted scenes in this, in the movie, where you see that Lee and Dennis kind of get together. Um, and, and again, I think that's a good idea. And it's where Christine shows of, up, right? Where they, they Yeah, they're her. like at a drive-in. And they're like, uh, they start necking. Burger and then... joint, and they kiss, and then you see Christine in the rear, like behind the behind them, behind and their it, car. And that's when she sideswipes the car and takes like the grill, the, the, the side yeah, mirror yeah. off or something. And we don't know if that's Christine or well, if that's no, him. Well, no, we and... see Arnie, because Arnie gets out and he sees him, then he starts yelling at Dennis, and he gets in the car um, in the deleted scene. Arnie gets out. Yeah. Okay. I think but no. we see that, but there's a couple of scenes that indicate that Lee and Dennis end up getting together, which I think it's good because I don't know. I think it's good that they took it, that stuff out because it becomes less about 
them. They, and like they almost, you almost can judge that as being like a negative yeah. towards them. <laughs> you know, you could conceivably, yeah, like that, yeah they're they're, they're getting together them. while so arguing Yeah, shit. and that's terrible. <laughs> the the truck's name that in the book is Petunia that they they end up pitting against. Um, you have Bad to the Bone using this movie. I don't know if it's the first time used, but I remember like when I first saw. I believe it is the first time used, and now it's become so cliche. That's what I point is that when I saw, I remember seeing Terminator Two opening night when he walks out in the new clothes. Bad to the Bone starts. It's awesome, and yeah. then now it's so cliched. When I saw Terminator Two over the summer in 3D release, it was like, oh, it's Bad to the Bone. But then I feel bad for people seeing it now because it people's you know mindset today is like oh that's yeah. so fucking cliched so to see this here when this is the first time this used is the first it's time a badass ever used you know bad to the bone and there's a deleted scene with george thorgood and who else the guy who wrote the script yeah and they said the acting was just so they were Bill like phillips they're the ones they're who, in the junkyard then they would have they, they the crushed the they crushed christine yeah it's maybe like uh, in the crusher whatever the after they crush christine like they get out of the crane or something yeah and they said that they were just such terrible actors they didn't know what to they're like Fuck, we have but to yeah you know bad to the bone i'd say the only other pieces of music that may be used for parody more in music in movies are good bad the ugly theme yeah and the jaws theme maybe yeah other than that george <laughs> kids, bad to the bone, bad is, to the bone the is probably yeah the most used uh for comedic purposes you know and uh i guess there was originally an un King had done an, uh, a, a, a book or a manuscript that he never ended up publishing called, I think it's called uh, Dolan's Cadillac, and it's very similar to this. Yeah. And that was maybe what he used as a catalyst to write Christine. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was something for a minute that they were going to turn into a, a movie, I guess, that Kevin Bacon was briefly connected to, but that never came anywhere. And that's another gripe that people have, uh, you know, people who uh, are big uh, cr- critics of, writing in, in King where they think that Christine should have been a short like the Mangler or like Trucks or like sometimes they come back you know because I guess it does supposedly drag on with but you know well, I, I, I was fine I don't with know it. if it's true I had always heard that w- one of the main reasons why uh, his films are so dense language wise his speak, books his books I'm sorry yeah his books were so dense I remember you telling me this too it's because he was being paid by, by the, the word. word yeah and that's true you know if you get so paid by the word, word yeah you know you get into the you know you get into all these other psyches or backstories I remember and all t- like an English teacher told us that one yeah. I don't know if it's true or not but uh, so that would be it certainly sounds believable in the context of the time and all that kind of a thing and if you're being paid for that you know for that but a lot of people have gripes with King uh, not uh, people who are really um, into his work. If you're a fan of his, uh, you know it's almost like anything. You love you love it so much, then you start picking at it. Like people, Carpenter yeah. fans, like myself. I love Carpenter, but then like after In the Mouth of Madness, I don't think he's ever been as good as he was. Sure, yeah. You know, and that's you know you can't. Some people can't stay that long. I mean, you know, the guy's great. I mean, same thing with Romero or any other person. You know, it's it's hard to have that staying power or that spark throughout your entire career. You know. Well, yeah. I mean, I've always said that about Toby Hooper. Whenever, and I love a lot of Toby Hooper's movies, but I've always said, you know, you got to cut Toby Hooper slack because right out of the gate, he made Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's yeah. like really, you can't go 
any up from there. Yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> you it's, can only hope to kind you know, of stay on that level. Yeah, it's like Francis Ford Coppola, like after The Godfathers and Apocalypse Now, and you know what else? He did The Outsiders, which is a good movie. Yeah, I like yeah. Bram Stoker's Dracula, but that's really you know has its problems. So it's you know what else has he really done? So it's you know it's hard to afford these people the criticism when you know ourselves, the people doing the critique, haven't done sh- jack shit. Yeah, you know? I just you know I I, know, I don't think King is crazy about this mo- this adaptation uh, this movie. I I don't think Carpenter's crazy about it. And like I said, out of all the all the quality Carpenter movies, you know, of course, people don't talk that much about some of the later stuff. But out of, like, this time period, this is the one movie that I feel like gets neglected in terms of people talking about it. And, and it's such a Carpenter and movie. And getting praised. You know, you're right. It's, it's, it is... It is completely fl- waxed over, and I even forget about it sometimes. That oh yeah, that is a John Carpenter film, or yeah. that is a, or a Stephen King John Carpenter yeah. film, you know. And it's it's so, certainly something that people forget, and it's there's no reason because if you watch it, it is so it it does harken back to that era for me of Carpenter of the fog of. Uh, you know, the thing, uh, John Carpenter's the thing, of, uh, (laughs) you know, Escape from New York, of Assault on Precinct 13, where he has a a, a cinema language, like a mise-en-scene that's very, to me, I never understood it growing up, but people could say you could tell a a Hitchcock shot, you could tell a Kubrick shot, you could tell a Carpenter shot, and and this movie's a complete example of that. You know, there's, you know, stuff in it, like I said, that camera set up with the two of them, and it's mounted on the hood. That's, a, you know, and sure, yeah, yeah. or using 235 or whatever stock he uses in this movie to shoot the thing on. It's yeah, just, it's, it's great. Just, uh, it's you know? really, I feel like it's like the unsung hero of Carpenter movies. Yeah. And maybe some, and obviously it has its fans, but I just feel like, especially with this kind of resurgence, people have even come around on, like, Prince of Darkness. Yeah. But this movie still... It always has had its fans... And I don't think people shit on it, but no. I, I just don't think it... Nobody ever talks about it. I mean, it's always had its fans in the motor clubs. I've always heard of it. Mm-hmm. People, like I said, we've already established that people have a huge affinity for people, you know, for the car and stuff, and they cite this movie. But aside from out of that, yeah, you don't really get this being cited as, like, a, as a horror movie or whatever. Uh, and it should get its due, so hopefully in a couple of years... I mean, I can remember five to ten years ago... You know, people were still shitting on Halloween three, and that, you know, <laughs> and people like that when people were coming, like you know, maybe you should give it a second. Yeah, yeah. It's, now it's, it's everybody loves. Yeah, it. now it's like it, it's like the diamond in the rough. Like people never knew. Oh my god, did you realize? You know. Yeah. So I just think it's also like it's a very uh, like I said, like I said in the beginning, it's like it's his most uh, like character driven. And, and, like, realized yeah, uh, from a lot of, you know, a lot of the movies. And they have a weird relationship because they never explain how Arnie and Dennis are friends because you would think, I mean, it's the perfect classical yeah, relationship, yeah. but you don't realize were they friends since childhood and that's why they've, you know, because why is the hotshot football player who could stand up to the bully to a certain respect hanging out with the nerd? Again, that's a cliched kind of a thing. Yeah. But a lot of times that, you know, in your mel- teen melodrama, that's the relationship that, they you, you have the movie before where they come together <laughs> yeah, yeah you know and then they develop that friendship because he's cheating off of him or he needs him to get the girl or it's the it's becomes the Sereno de Bergiac or tell me what to say to her you know yeah so in this movie they don't explain why they're so tight why he almost feels like he's a little brother to him and then how sharply the the relationship changes when Arnie just goes from zero to a hundred so quickly and becomes this you know, he becomes Robert's blossom. Now, unfortunately, it's too late. But Dion and I have a story about a specific scene in this movie that maybe if we ever do a Christine part two, <laughs> well, we're not gonna. <laughs> we'll but we did a um, 
<laughs> in film school, we had a because uh, I was explaining it to my wife, which is funny enough. That in film school, we had a uh, I forget what class we had that a directing was for. class. It was it was directing film, and the assignment was quickly. The assignment was to pick a scene where two characters, a dialogue scene with two characters. Yeah. And you shoot it the first time. You shoot it with like a stationary camera. Yeah. And then the second time is you shoot it you with like multiple it. angles yeah. and cut it. So I couldn't think of a scene. Um, Dion picked. I was gonna say, do you remember what I did? Yeah, you did Heat. No. Yeah, you did. It was me and you. We did the the diner scene from Heat. No, I did Requiem for a Heavyweight with uh, Michael. Then Mike what did Morona. you shoot the Heat scene for? How did I shoot the Heat scene? We for? went to North, and you and I shot that diner scene. I did the one with Mike Morona where him and I I play Jackie Gleason. He plays I, I he plays Mickey Rooney. I play Jackie Gleason, and we have the scene hmm, together. Interesting, because you did another heat scene, and I just assumed that that's what that was for. But I do remember your Requiem for Dreams. That scene. was in Requiem for Heavyweight. That was yeah, in your because that was in your your apartment. Um, was in your common room in your apartment in the new we shot that because mm-hmm. at first the legendary Mike Morona from our friend from school that people will know from Home Alone and Pete and Pete I don't think he was taking the scene seriously but I gave it my fucking all because I'm <laughs> acting in a scene with, with, with the legendary Mike Morona by the end of it he was you know he was yelling at me too it was great yeah, and yeah. I, I, cry, I pulled some tears out at the end of that scene I do remember it now I wonder what that heat scene yeah was you're for. right because I, I didn't I don't even remember I, rem- I have a memory of the heat scene but I don't, I don't know where that is because I have everything well anyway so yeah so I, I couldn't think of a scene, yeah. so I said to my roommate at the time, Dave, Dave, Hastings, Dave Hastings, who we brought up at the head of this cast, and I said, can you think of a scene between two characters, a dialogue scene? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, there's a scene from Christine, and it's the scene- Don't that, you like beer? It's, it, it's that New Year's Eve scene where they're driving, and uh, and the death to the shadows of the world, 1979 scene. And so the scene that ends up being me and Dave- in Dave's tr- uh, van, Rich. Which was really odd because he had a... He had this giant van. Yeah, he had a conversion, one of those uh, one of those conversion vans that was like a... that uh, Before minivans took over, the van that was popular at the time, but he had... His was unfinished in the back. It was like a workman's van. Yeah. So he had like the two bench or the, 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 the seats in the front and then just like a chair in the back. Yeah, and then he just had it was just there was no it was just the, it was just the no paneling, no nothing. It was yeah, just yeah. the aluminum. You had to watch out because he had like nails and screws. Yeah. And do you remember what you was know? painted on the side? Was it a leprechaun or something? Silver Shamrock a from shamrock. Halloween Three. Oh, that was what the Shamrock is. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. It was. He had silver shamrocks painted on the side. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and how many of his love for and Halloween We would three. go at, at three in the morning. We'd go for like a McDonald's run at the twenty-four hour McDonald's, and we'd all like you know someone would be sitting shotgun, and four of us would be crouching on the back. <laughs> you know, he'd take the turn. We'd have so to we go to shoot the first the first time we shoot a stationary camera. We go to shoot the scene in the parking lot. In a parking lot on campus. Outside your apartment. The coldest night I've ever had. I remember. You know why? Because and I because had Dion was sitting. It was me and Dave acting on. I was Dennis. Dave was Arnie. Yeah. And so Dave's like the, hey, have a beer. Don't be shy. My car's your car. And he did a spectacular job. <laughs> he didn't fucking. He nailed it so much that our teacher was like, where'd you find that guy? Is he in the acting program? Yeah. And I was like, no, he's in the film program. He's just not in our class. Because he was convinced that guy was an act, that Dave was an actor because he just fucking nailed it. Yeah. But Dion standing outside 
in the freezing cold in the middle of the night. It was like February. On a the camera on a tripod, so cold. I don't even remember this. So cold that the tripod like crumbled in your hands. Yeah, the tripod <laughs> broke because it, the metal just it fractured <laughs> like in it. The there was a failure. <laughs> yeah. And so then you're just like standing there just shaking, <laughs> holding it. And then we shot it stationary and then we went back and we shot it uh we gotta find i gotta find that would who, be, that would be funny to post but the, i'll never find it in time did our friend then the other french did the mall rat scene with you we had a friend that did mall rats where i was that was all the so this is all the same i thing? was brody and uh chris funderberg was jeremy london yeah, yeah so then what the hell and then mike morona did uh mike did uh enter the dragon Yes, where you, Mr. Handman, <laughs> you're straight out of a, in the bathroom <laughs> in a public bathroom. With John Cribbs, John Cribbs was 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 these are guys from the Pink Smoke. <laughs> he was Han or whatever Han, and he was like the the mastermind. And I was uh, was Jim Kelly. What's his name? Yeah, Jim Kelly, right? Yeah, I was the black guy. Yeah, I don't suddenly want to be on your island anymore, you, Mr. Handman. You're, you're like something out of a comic. You're straight book. out of a comic book. So we had all these crazy. Th- See, the mine was the Christine scene, and I'll always remember that. And as we watch this movie t- tonight, I still to this day remember that scene yeah, line for line. It, it, I, I had forgotten about it for 20 years, or no, I was just 18 Like, I could say it verbatim as I'm watching. I can say all their lines because yeah, and then I, I still then remember it. It hit it. me when they were doing 100, and I was like, wow, this is crazy. You feel that way about Lee? Lee, fuck no. I'm talking about, about Christine, Christine, man. No <laughs> shit has ever came between me and Christine. Now, was Christine driving herself in that scene? Well, he does say, hey, take a look at this. Yeah, but that's just, I don't know. Suspension. You never see it. You don't see it. Is 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 the suspension being that good? Like, you know, she's not not leaning to the left or the right. You know, I don't know. I think there's a deleted scene where it kind of, he insinuates that she's driving tonight or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I know that. That that scene is longer. Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of that stuff. That's a a case where when you watch all that stuff, it's cool to see all the deleted scenes, but you, it's good that. I feel like this, the movie is stronger for having taken that stuff out. Yeah. Kind of streamline it and leave more up to the imagination a little bit. Yeah. So that's that's a, a trip down memory lane for us, I'll tell you. Yeah. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah, late. The late. funniest thing was that Dave had just gotten this crazy haircut. It looked like he had a lobotomy, <laughs> like brain surgery. Oh, when he did the thing. When he did the, so he just realized he was all hungover when we did it and unshaven. He looked like he was crazy. Yeah, it, it, it worked of, out well. It was kind of perfect and, and, and because of, as we said at the head of this cast, that you uh, you both had kind of um, uh, grown together, got close because of this movie. It was it yeah, was yeah. so apropos for him to, you know, it was really him doing this tour de force. It was amazing. Yeah. So, but thank you very much for listening. Uh, we hope you liked our last uh, Halloween of. Uh, Hawkus Pacus. Yeah, into into into. Uh, this is the bo- a bonus Halloween yeah, episode. One last one. We'll be back in two weeks again. Getting back on. We have going another way down the alley. We're going way down the alley to a personal favorite of mine. And uh, we hope you liked this. Uh, let us know what you think. Check us out on Twitter. Check us out on Facebook. Spread the word. Let the get the word out on the street because people got to know what's going on here at Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. And uh, you always get us for free. So um, until next time, later.
and forever I'll love just you Just promise me, darling Your love in return Make this fire in my soul, dear Forever My heart's at your command, dear, to keep love and to hold. Making you happy is my desire, dear. Keeping you is my goal. I'll forever love you the rest of my days. I'll never part from you. And your loving way My heart's at your commanding To keep love and to hold Making you happy is my desire, dear. Keeping you is my goal. I'll forever love you the rest of my days. I'll never part from you and your love.